Welcome to the Cincy Postcast. I'm your host, Kevin Wallace, and we have a very special episode of the Postcast for you. We are talking about yet another playoff victory for FC Cincinnati, defeating Philadelphia Union at home. Just an incredible, incredible feeling in that crowd when Mascara scores the game winner from an incredibly onside assist from Ian Murphy. This is an awesome episode. We talk about the entire match, the lineups, the the feeling. We, we review virtually every single player in this one. It is just so much fun to go back through and relive. And then in part two, we begin the dreading of the upcoming Hell is Real conference final matchup this weekend. This is one hell of a postcast. Joining me to talk about all of that and more, I've got two gentlemen who are so happy that the rematch went the right way this time, joined by the Chief, and we're also joined by Jonah. Jonah, I understand you have some prepared words for us. Is this something that you want to get out now, or or do you want to bring it up later? No, we should get this out of the way now. Well, you caught me off guard, even though I requested this. Um, (laughs) Thanks. I'm glad to have this platform. I wrote my thoughts down because I didn't want to screw this up. It's too important to a lot of people. Um, I'm sure you guys know. Last night, there was a tweet from a different FC Cincinnati podcast Twitter account that caused a bit of a stir. Not only does it come across as a pro Philly tweet, but it honestly had no reason to be put out there at all. Um, Chief Kevin, you'll probably agree. Podcast wars are not productive. And I'm sure you don't want me saying this, but I'm speaking for a lot of angry FCC fans out there when I say this podcast should be fully and without hesitation canceled. Yes, the dreaded C <laughs> word canceled. So post Cincy listeners, make me a promise. You will never, ever listen to another new episode of Knifey Lion Radio. Showing Ian Murphy <laughs> was indeed offside should be the last straw. Stop placating the enemy KLR and start supporting the boys in orange and blue. Cancel KLR up everyone else. Something we can all get behind. I hope. There's something, there's something hope. glorious about a podcast being canceled. Over a year after it recorded its last episode. <laughs> I'm still paying the Podbean like fees, so it's still, it's still alive. <laughs> two, two years after the last episode drops, we're finally now getting around to canceling KLR. And honestly, I think it probably is about three years overdue. Given, yeah. some of the, given some of the content I listened to. I mean, Bill, Bill Burr had that rant about canceling John Wayne over his Playboy interview from the 1970s. So if we can cancel John Wayne 40 years, 50 years after his death, <laughs> there's no reason we can't do the same to whoever KLR is. But uh, yeah, many people were upset about that tweet. I don't know no. how you guys felt about it. I, uh, I'm i glad you got a, a ahead of this. Yeah, because, you know, to actually go out there and, and put up a diagram showing that Murphy was offside is pretty egregious on the night of arguably maybe inarguably sec's biggest win in club history something to be said for that i just i just i don't have any time for people drawing lines that don't 
make us out to be the winner. If you're going to draw lines, <laughs> I want to see lines that confirm my own point of view on this matter. Uh, this I'm is back why, in the lab tonight. Yeah, yeah. Joseph Mamey is the real hero. Um, <laughs> yeah. I, I don't care how crooked that line was; it was the correct line. So, <laughs> oh my god. Well, I mean, we normally beat around the bush for like ten minutes before we get into it, but I don't think there is any reason to hold up talking about this one. No, especially not considering the fact that. <laughs> I was going through my head mentally last night at around like the 60th or 70th minute and just wondering, man, if Philly scores a goal here, do we even mention the game on the recording on Sunday night? <laughs> or is it just an entire hour and a half of comic books, um, movies, <laughs> obs obscure oblique references to, to stage theater? I mean... It's not out of the question for next Sunday's show, so. <laughs> oh, we might just cancel the cup of the pod. You want to talk about canceling a podcast? <laughs> we might just self-cancel at that point. I don't want to fucking talk about that. <laughs> it, might be, it might be the end right there. Yeah, not good. Oh, God. Well, thankfully, the FC wins one to nothing versus the Philadelphia Union. I will say... Uh, kind of the reverse of how I predicted it would go. I said we'd get a Ray Gaddis goal in the first five minutes and we'd spend the rest <laughs> of the time defending a one nothing lead. We got a defender scoring with five minutes left in the game, basically, and we defended a nil-nil game the entire time. I'm taking this as partial credit. Potato, potato. <laughs> it, it's actually, it's funny how... When you laid that scenario out last week, the only thing I could think of was, oh, God, I, I the idea of watching this team try to bunker and protect a one goal lead with a back line where I thought generously we'd have Obi in the lineup at the very least. Right. But as it turns out, the idea of imagining a team without Miazga, without Obi and without an appearance by Santi Arias defending a one goal lead for 90 plus minutes. That sounds horrendous. And the way it worked out, I think, is probably the best possible way this lineup could have achieved a 1-0 win, where the amount of time they had to protect the lead was <laughs> so infinitesimally small and that it was just Philly booting and praying, not actually trying to build any sort of attack up or do anything. That's probably the best way that this best thing this lineup could have hoped for in terms of amount of time and style of play needed to protect a one goal lead. So I'm very thankful that this is the way it turned out, even if the 93 ish minutes to get there were progressively more harrowing as things went along. Yeah, I <clears throat> it was. Yeah, as you said, the script didn't go the way we we thought it would. So uh, backing up a bit, leading into this one, we knew Arias and uh, Woboda were both coming back from injury. Uh, they had both rejoined uh, the full training in the couple of practices leading up to this game. <clears throat> And he had, uh, or, and, and Noonan had said that both of these guys were available. So 
We had every reason to believe that that full-strength team would be there going into this, or at least close to it. You knew you were going to be down Miazga regardless. And meanwhile, Philly was basically saying the same things about uh, Carranza and Gillespie, that these guys were available, they'd be healthy, they'd be back in the team and available. And it was, yeah, it's all right, both of these teams are going to be down their stud attacking left wing back and otherwise everybody will be at full strength and it does appear both teams were bluffing there um i'll run through the lineup here real quick and uh, i'll get your thoughts on it jonah uh in goal was celentano of course that back line left to right was murphy mosquera and powell ray gaddis as the right wing back uh, Barial is the left wing back. Moreno, Kubo in for Wobodo, Acosta in front with Vasquez and Bupenza up top. Jonah, I ask you, what were your thoughts when you saw that lineup? I wasn't feeling great. I think uh, <laughs> when uh, I think Joseph Mamey said no Obi, I was like, oh, he's not starting. And then you look down at the fine print and you're like, what? <laughs> I mean, he's not like the kind of player. Obviously, you'd love to bring him in at any point in the game. 20 minutes of OB is better than no OB, but right. you know, he's not. If we're holding down a lead, that's great. We're bringing him in. But once the game's kind of lost, he's not like an impact sub you're going to bring in. So maybe they had the same thought, like bench or no bench. I wonder, is this the MLS Cup final? Does he play or probably not? I don't know. But I wasn't, right. I wasn't too excited but like always i predict dub and it's one of those games where if we had lost three nothing you look back and you're like well it was ian murphy mascara like leading we love mascara but like he the head the head man in charge powell and gaddis you're like of course this of course is what happened and then we have this amazing performance and you're like ray gaddis is a veteran of course <laughs> powell knows <laughs> philadelphia mascara's yeah. right. like oh coming back to wolves soon and ian murphy's showing up all year so yeah you can kind of write your own story with how it turned out but to say i was like thrilled um no <laughs> I, was, yeah. I was terrified absolutely <laughs> terrified for sure it does it does raise an interesting question of if you had to pick one moment one player to keep their head in a hostile big moment where there's confrontational emotions running high and you had to pick one player not to do something stupid would you pick murphy would you pick mascara or would you pick miazga i guess mascara <laughs> yeah mascara mascara feels more disciplined for some reason <laughs> he also draws mo like he's a shithouser we saw that he might get a fine for faking a hit to the face but i mean something probably did hit him i don't i don't want to do a klr tweet again but yeah like he went down he flailed he's more of a master of the dark arts like miazka's like i cover my mouth i'm slick but he's continuously gets yellow cards so yeah i think as insane as it is when you're hearing the words yeah i think mascara is the one yeah, interest yeah. Strangely, the situation. strangely mascara appears to be more of the sith master where he very rarely gets caught for the things that he does instigating Versus yes. Miazga, who makes no effort whatsoever to hide the fact that he is a shithead, which I kind of enjoy. <laughs> kind of makes is, him, kind of makes him lovable in that regard. 
Is mascara a bad influence on Miazga? Is that like there you go? Like, Change the narrative. <laughs> mascara gets he, he gets away with it, and it inspires Miazga. But Miazga's not nearly as subtle, so he he is trying shit, but <laughs> it's just not coming off as clean, right? <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's funny too, where you think about that, and you're like, oh yeah, Yerson mascara, he's got this. Ian Murphy's look good all year. My thought going into this and looking at this lineup was, and I think I sent a text message to you and Grayson, Kevin, that like, oh, finally, Grayson's point about lack of center back depth that he's been making literally, I think, since the season kicked off, demanding this team go out and get another center back, that this was the match where it finally was going to catch up to us, where you don't have Wobodo out in the midfield to sort of cover for center back play. And you were going to see the back line potentially get exposed, especially with, you know, God love them, uh, Powell and Gaddis out there are not, we'll say they, they're athletically limited in certain respects at this point in their various careers. And I was not feeling good. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was ready for a full investigation into why Obi was healthy enough to train, but not healthy enough to actually play. I was going to demand that someone call Pat Noonan out in the pro the post game to, you know, get to the bottom of why yeah. it is that these people can play in practice and they can train in practice. But when the actual game happens, they're just not around to, to you know, answer the bell. But fortunately, none of that matters right now. And I in Pat Noonan, we trust. Exactly. No, I think, um, again, to go back to that, that text message, though, uh, Grayson put it best. And honestly, when he said this, I, I felt more confident. It worked for me. He said, the coach of the year has had three weeks to figure out how to win this game. And you know what? That's exactly what just happened is is a coaching masterclass to put these guys in the right spot to pull this off. I mean, not to take anything away from the actual play on the field. Um, but yeah, you know, like, sure, extra center back depth would be good. But basically, we would be asking for a center back to be about as good as Powell was in this game. And we got Powell's performance. So... Right. What do we actually want here? <laughs> do we want center back on their resume or do we want a good performance in the position? And yeah, he, he did fine here. It's a um, it's a it's a another testament to the fact that it, it positions are fluid when it comes to soccer, especially. And on this team, they do a very, very good job of whenever they ask someone to do something to at least having them well prepared to do it. And it does make me wonder when Grayson said that. Would this have been a different game if it had been played a week after the the last round and they mm. didn't have as much time to tactically be prepared for this big positional switch and this sort of change, subtle change in philosophy? And there's a lot of interesting things that the team did in this game tactically that I don't know that they do if they don't have as much time to prepare for this match. So. Maybe the long layoff really was to FC Cincinnati's benefit, even though you would think that after that big emotional w victory against Red Bull, you would want to have that next game quickly to capitalize on that high. Yeah. Jonah, what do you think? Like, looking back now, was the break still awful, terrible, you wouldn't want to do it again? Or do you think that it might have been the difference in this game that we actually had time to get these pieces in place knowing who all was going to be out. 
I don't know. I was talking to maybe my wife. I was saying how the offense was kind of rusty, though. So maybe the offense would have looked better. Mm. It's like we couldn't get that last ball. People yeah. weren't on the same page. I know, like, well, Bepenzo has gone for some period of time. <laughs> but there's just a lot of, like, you know, you felt like we were dominated the first 10 minutes. We really, like, were pushing it on them. That was like yeah. the plan or going to go hard, but like, and it looked encouraging. There wasn't that classy ball at the end from Lucho, from Bupenza or from Barrial wasn't getting much action, but it looked good, but there wasn't that little bit of quality. So maybe that would have been better, but yeah, you'd have to imagine it was better for the defense. And at the end of the day, I think I would make that trade and think we could figure out getting a goal um, at some point. I mean, the entire game you're, I never stopped being nervous about that being the back line, but they never gave us a reason to be. There wasn't. No. I think Murphy got beat down like one on one once or twice, maybe yeah. even just once that I like really remember. And the other times, you know, Powell tracked back and made some good tackles that led to some corners. But otherwise, they never like played into your fear, but you're just the whole time you're thinking like, oh, we're going to fuck it up. But they never, it could have been anybody out there. There was never really, they never made that mistake that you see the lineup and you think is going to come. They never, never happened. And um, yeah, so I guess yeah, the layoff paid off. What can you say? They didn't give up a goal. There was only one moment that I remember with Murphy being uh, shaky where he went for a, a pass clearance and just passed it directly back to a union player that let them restart and attack. But yeah, yeah, to that point, just on the overarching thing with the back line, there, there was maybe three or four times total in this game where you got nervous about something Philly was doing. Um, they were rarely in behind the back line, which was shocking to me. I thought for certain we'd leak at least one or two opportunities because even when we have our first choice back, uh, back line, you still see confusion occasionally about spacing behind the line and who picks up runners going through into the 18. There was none of that in this game. The other thing, though, about the offense, and it's, you know, we can talk about this as we as we recap the game. I do wonder a little bit if part of the marching orders from Noonan and the coaching, Noonan and the coaching staff this week on the offensive side was to avoid overcommitting to stop mm-hmm. Philly from having the opportunity because Philly's are, it's a Philly's a countering team. They are not a yeah. possession team. They are not a build up team. They are a team that wants to pick you on the counter. And you saw that in this game with the number of quick restarts they would have after free kicks. And it got to be a running joke with me and a couple of friends that every time Lucho or somebody went to bitch at the official for a foul being given, the ball was already gone on the restart as they're getting up to the official to complain. It's like turn around and run because they want to go quick because that's their playing style. So given that, I, I, I am curious as to whether or not some of the issues with the attack were a product of, hey, push forward when you can, but we are not going to get beat on the back end of this. We're not going to offer the same kind of support uh, going forward in the attack. And you saw that a little bit, too, with how infrequent Barrial pushed forward in this game. Um, this was not a typical Barrial game where he's bombing down the wings and getting into deep, dangerous attacking positions. For an overwhelming majority of this game, he was laying back too to also provide a little bit of help into the midfield 
uh, where I think that they thought they were going to be weak with the absence of Wobodo, at least what I was seeing as I'm watching this game. I completely agree on the overcommitment. Like that was clearly something that they were stressing with our guys, you know, these last month or whatever that we were uh, between these games is that, yeah, they, they were not going to, uh, to overcommit and get beat on that uh, and get beat on that deadly counter. Like that's exactly how they were able to do that. And it helped too, that it did seem like since he did a good job of pushing everything uh, to the wings for Philly, so they could not play through and therefore expose Kubo Moreno without Obi. So th- it was very well done. It was very funny too. Neither team was willing to do any attacking down their left side. So like everything uh, from both teams was going down the right side. It was it was very funny and uneven how the game kept playing out. Like the ball kept whipping around in circles, like in a a roller rink or something around the field it was it was never going to go up and down the same channel uh twice like that um i want to yeah i want to yeah. i want to take some credit too kubo in the midfield oh. um that was in hindsight the only correct play in this game because i thought that i thought kubo I don't know that you can give a man of the match with how Yerson defended and also scored the goal, but if there was a secondary man of the match, I thought Kubo had probably his best game in an FC Cincinnati uniform with the number of different things he did, um, cleaning up in the defensive midfield, but also contributing to the attack as Barrial stayed further back in this game. I thought he was awesome. Um, and I wouldn't, you know, I was hand up, I was nervous at the lineup having a midfield of Moreno, Lucho, and uh, Kubo, just with also thinking about the defensive responsibilities that would need to be covered that will bo- that you're missing when Wilbodo isn't there. The lineup just overperformed at every single spot. Like every player played to exactly what they needed to do to win this game, and they got overperformance from Gaddis, Powell, and Kubo, which is exactly what you're looking for in a in a playoff elimination game when you're trying to see other people step up that aren't usually starters, like. If you're going to get overperformances somewhere, that's a hell of a th- trio to get overperformances for. Yeah, seriously. Ray Gaddis, I was just looking at this, 87.8% passing percentage from him, filling in at wing back. That And some of them even went incredible. forward. <laughs> Way to go, Ray. <laughs> yeah, a couple, a couple of them did. Uh, uh, but no, Jonah, is this the best performance we've seen of Yuya Kubo in an orange and blue jersey? I don't have my Kubo Rolodex totally handy, <laughs> but you got to assume the stakes of the game and just how important he was in the game. I'm not let's let's fucking declare it. Yeah, let's say it was his best ever. Um, and he he missed out. I'm not here to uh, crap on Bupenza yet. He missed out on two golden chances. Not his fault mm-hmm. with give and goes with uh, Bupenza. His last his last give was perfect. His go was perfect. And Bupenza's flick back to him in the box. Both times, um, the two specific I'm thinking of, um, just fluttered in the air and got stolen. But if he plays those into Kubo's feet, he's got two uh, decent chances at yeah. goal. And it's funny, he has not scored many goals for us at all. But when he's cutting in like 
and you hear in the crowd too, where you all just want him to shoot. And we're like, I know, because yeah. you know he's capable. You've seen it once. That's all you need to see. And uh, I just love that he's a part of a major part of this team. After all these years, like we're in this position, and I don't think any of us would have predicted like Kubo would be starting an Eastern Conference semifinal game and <laughs> getting Chiefs runner-up man, man the match. <laughs> right. So I don't know. It's just wild. I mean, Powell's wild too, but that was a crazier journey. So yeah, and when he gets subbed in or subbed out, he gets like the loudest ovation of anyone. We just, you know, he's never, he's just the most even-killed that's why we get so upset that he never gets any foul calls because he's like the consummate gentleman. I mean, he's probably got like uh, skin costumes in his closet or something, you know. I mean, he's like actually a serial killer. Like we think we know him. We don't know him at all. But like if we had our he guesses, nice. he's like, yeah, yeah, he seems like a great guy. So you love to see it after like him get rewarded with this and to like the perform neighbors, that way. The neighbors too. get the interview. I never would have seen this coming. He just seemed like such a normal guy. Well, he's all right with me. Yeah. It's funny. It's, it's also the reason why like in my... <clears throat> In much the same vein, you shouldn't go shopping when you're hungry because you buy more. As, as I was watching this game, I thought to myself, I was thinking, yeah, I, I'd, I'd bring Kubo back next year. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we don't have to worry about that because as we said, he is right. on a perpetual option contract as best any of us can tell. But in the wake of that performance, I was very okay with, yes, yeah, sign me up for more Yuya Kubo. Indispensable part of this team as the uh, 12th man off the bench. Fourth yeah. DP, the new, the <laughs> new roster let's mechanism. Not, let's not get carried away. <laughs> you know, if we don't have anybody immediately in mind, making him a DP would free up like $400,000 in roster spent. Damn, you hear the new postcast? Yeah, they want Kubo as a DP. They've really lost the plot. <laughs> I mean, what would be more FC Cincinnati, though, than Yuya Kubo suddenly becoming a DP once again? That his roster status just automatically... Yeah. Like, well, the hell with it. We haven't made him a DP in a while. Do that back again. I mean, you're right, though, Jenna. That journey from like, oh, my God, we signed this European proven striker, which is who we thought we were signing, to him doing a very good job deputizing as a defensive midfielder in one of the biggest matches in club history is a hell of an adventure to get to this point. And... Man, the global pandemic happened somewhere in there. It was, it was a good time. So. Do you think do you think Yakubo ever has like an existential crisis when he's alone with his thoughts? Like, what am I truly as a soccer player anymore? <laughs> I am no longer a striker. I am no longer a winger. Am I a defensive mid? Am I a midfielder at all? What is a midfielder? Can one truly be a midfielder? <laughs> is this a, is this a, is it a thing in my own mind that once I commit myself to being a midfielder, that then I am one? And then am I no longer who I used to be? Does, do these things keep you, Yakubo, up at night, do we think? <laughs> that keeps me up. Do we know, I mean, do we know less about someone who's been on this team for this long? I don't think I know anything about Kubo. I mean, right. that must be his choice. He, he seems like a very private kind of guy, but it is crazy. We don't, I don't, you know, he's the, he's got, the opposite he's of Lucho. Kid. He's got kids. I mean, we see the kids down on the field after the game every so often. He is okay. a man of mystery, though, and I kind of like that. That you could literally believe anything you want about Yuya Kubo, and plausibly, it's well, maybe that could be what he does. Like you said, he could have he could have skin suits in his basement, or on the weekend he could you know be a superhero. He could be the shadow hair for all, all any of us know. <laughs> you know, you know how many 
Go ahead. No, no, you go. <laughs> More Kubo talk. How many Japanese players are in MLS right now? I mean, I'm not. I, Grayson would know off the top of his head. But he would. I know he was the first Japanese designated player. I want to say there's less than five if there is yeah. another one out there. Yeah. Where's the where's the Japanese love? You know, they usually fawn over like the players in the states right. especially when they're a, rare, a scarcity a rarity of their countrymen so it's not too late get on the kubo bandwagon to all the japanese uh post-sensi listeners yeah. i hope uh <laughs> i don't know if you check the global map of listeners <laughs> lately but not a lot of downloads through the far east yet if we could break into the jap if we could break into the japanese market there's an untapped potential for soccer podcast listeners over there starting uh, now for some <laughs> reason we were yeah, right. We were a uh, top 150 soccer podcast in Nigeria. So look out, world. <laughs> Here we come. What up, world? What's up, Obi? Appreciate it. Um, yeah, I. Uh, this is probably problematic, but I really like the idea of like Yuyu Kubo never learns English, doesn't talk to any of his teammates. <laughs> It's it's kind of like an office space situation where he actually isn't on the team, hasn't been for a few years. He just keeps showing up, and it's working out. So it's, it's going great. Yeah, like that. That's really what the contract situation is. Is he just keeps showing up, and it, well, in order to train, he has to have a contract. So I guess just put him back on the books again. Yeah, right. Like uh, we'll file this with the league, I guess, and we're on our way. <laughs> it would we. I do feel like you're right, Jonah. That we there is a we do need to get Yuya Kubo out there more because I want the throngs of Japanese media covering this team like they do when Shohei Otani plays or when um, back when Hideo Nomo broke into the majors, where you'd see rows of Japanese photographers taking pictures and traveling everywhere they go. I would love that for us at FC Cincinnati <laughs> and open the club's branding to an entire new market, sell more jerseys, make more money, sign that fourth DP. Can I give my shirt design to Cincy shirts? Can we bring the Kubo, the Kubo, Kubo, Kubo? I'm trying to combine it with the Renaissance, the Kabunasance. No, the Yuyasance. I don't know what you'd call it, but yeah, he's he's back and better than ever. We'll be we'll be we'll be shitting on him after the next game. Like, this right. is why Yuya Kubo is not your center midfielder. Uh, hopefully he's just a sub to see out our 5-0 victory, but let's not get ahead of ourselves just yet. Yeah, yeah. Uh, no, just incredible performances all the way around, at least on the defensive side of things. Uh, Moreno as well. Um, I don't... Nothing sticks out in my mind as, like, terrible giveaways. I, obviously not every single one of his passes is connected, but he's usually good for, like, two or three just absolute howlers of a pass. And I can't remember anything. Maybe somebody else has a better memory than me, no. but it, nothing stood out to me there. So what was interesting about the way all this ended up working out was that you would think that a team that was missing as many defensive starters as FC Cincinnati was – you would think that the game plan would be to hold back and to protect the back line, compress your lines, not leave a lot of room for Philadelphia to operate, and force them to try and break you down with possession. But incredibly, the game plan from FC Cincinnati seemed to be that as soon as Philadelphia got the ball in any circumstance, 
there was immediate pressure on the ball from the midfield and from the strikers. Um, it, it was it was so consistent because usually this team sort of switches it on and switches it off at times, but it was so consistent in this game. It had to be marching orders from the coaching staff that you are to go after every single one of these players as soon as they get the ball. Don't let them breathe. Don't let them have space. Don't let them think. And so Moreno was a huge part of that in this game as well. Just constantly pressing, clipping at ankles, clipping at heels. And the way this game was officiated, which was there were not a lot of foul calls in this game. There were not a lot of cards issued in this game. And so that sort of physical pressing style, shockingly, you would have expected after the way the officiating had gone uh, officiating union had gone after this team or one of its players specifically and how the sniping had been going back and forth with some accusations of fabrication that there might have been a tighter <laughs> officiated game for FC Cincinnati, but there wasn't. And so as a result, this sort of in high intensity, high press completely, I don't think Philly was ready for it just based on the way that they seemed unable to deal with it all game. It was it was a game plan that <clears throat> worked really well. And I'm starting to think that Pat Noonan might have worked for Philadelphia in the past because, man, he, every time we play him, he's got their number and trips up their game plan and they never get anything going. And it's amazing to watch. I don't know. I don't know if that's a thing that happened in his past or not, but always seems to have Philly's number with throwing it off. And like that has been the game plan in the past. Uh, this time wasn't clear that they had the personnel to pull it off and yet it still went according to plan like right. it's so so good uh ray gaddis gets the only yellow card i'm gonna say for playing hard defense uh jonah surprise or inevitable that gaddis was the only the only yellow card foul in this game for fcc the bupenza got one didn't he his his possible red card oh, <laughs> when he's yeah. winning crazily. <laughs> I was thinking it was uh, it was simulation, but you're right. He, he really he did go out. Flew at him. in with both legs uh, flailing. Sorry, I don't mean to ruin your point because that was that, that was just right. a, no, a kind of a freak that, yeah. freak play by Bapenza, <laughs> where like he literally, from what I've heard people watching on TV, they're like, yeah, that could easily be a red card, which would have been a hilarious end to Bapenza's night. Uh, I'm just gonna go ahead and get a red card pressing here um but yeah. yeah ray was i'm you know i'm i'm glad it was him because yeah. i'm looking at it says like uh the number of tackles he made doesn't match what i'm remembering it felt like he was like a tackle machine because there was like a few where well, they were coming down this side uh away from the bailey so that was first half yeah first half yeah. where he's one-on-one -on -one and just fucking stuffed the dude and like he you don't this is oh, why yeah. he was like the most tenured Philadelphia player ever. And it's why we wanted to bring him out of retirement. And when he has like a bad moment, you're like this old dude with his shirt tucked in, like <laughs> what were we thinking? And then, but like kind of like how Jeff Cameron that first year, he just knew how to make tackles mm -hmm. a lot of time, like with his, like his back foot, like behind his other leg, just like stuff the dude. It's just like things that like you're smarter than the guy who's trying to beat you off the dribble. And he is smarter than most of the guys off the dribble. So he can get beat because 
he's not the fastest guy on the team anymore. He's not slow. He's okay, but he's not going to get into the position where he's in a foot race. Like he's going to play it the right way. Uh, And he did. So yeah, yellow card. He's yeah. That's hilarious that he's remember. We was it the Bible. Was it Jesus gives him the, the 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 right to gives him the ability to push (laughs) buttons. Yeah. So, I mean, when you're given that divine right to make hard tackles, you got to use it. And sometimes it goes over the line. But, you know, as long as you ask for forgiveness, you're going to be welcome in those pearly gates when you take that final nap. So good job, right? <laughs> it's important to have that uh, that personal relationship with your Lord and Savior, especially if it allows you to overcome otherwise lawful conduct within a soccer match. Yeah. Has he condemned Hamas yet, though? The real questions being asked right here. <laughs> um, he played an incredible game. And yeah, it's it's the the majority of like what he does well is just positional. It's like you said with 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 Jeff Cameron. It's knowing where to be in order to not have to rely on your athletic ability to bail you out. And when he needed it, that was the fastest I've seen him run a couple of times in this game. So yeah. there's still a little bit of life left in the old uh the old machine. And I say the old machine like he's not significantly younger than I am. <laughs> like the man is considered washed by MLS and he's still younger than I am. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. We also weren't afraid to much to my um the breaking of or my heart feeling like it's gonna explode play out of the back almost the entire game. Like I'm just like just boot it, just boot it. And but we've got mascara, Murphy and Gaddis like you know, and Powell like doing fucking ticky tacka in our own box. I'm like, oh my god! <laughs> but somehow, it, somehow it worked, and it never came back to bite us. So I admire that confidence. Gaddis is a funny one too, because uh, in my mind, yeah, he is is an old guy. We brought him out of retirement, right? Like that's a great phrase to have there. I think he's only like 32 or 33, whereas like <laughs> Bedoya is Philly's captain. He's 37, and I'm like. Yeah. We'd spring him in next year. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> Philly's letting him walk. <laughs> so, yeah, Gaddis is a funny one like that. And, uh, yeah, I, I had to go look it up because you mentioned it, Jonah. They're only giving him credit for two tackles in winning four of five duels. That feels like what he did in the first 20 minutes of this game. Like, I don't know yeah. where those stuffs are you know, as a uh, as a stat, like where those go, maybe I'm just not seeing interceptions here, and maybe that's what they're being classified as or something. But yeah, he was. I kept screaming brick wall from my seats. It's like <laughs> you couldn't get past him, man. Every time the ball got near him, it was it just shut everything down. Uh, yeah, uh, just just incredible. Now, I mean, this is not necessarily how we scripted this to to talk about the game this way but i think it makes sense to just kind of move positionally up the field and marino and kubo we we've definitely talked about we can we i think it's fair to talk about the attack now acosta vasquez bupenza and i'll throw in barial here as well it looked super threatening all night and yet so few shots to ever come out of it there was so much passing around the box and it feels like between Bupenza and Vasquez and even Barrial is that they are all so one-footed that unless the ball is in the perfect spot on their shooting foot they will not take the shot and you end up in these situations where 
they will pass the ball to themselves three, four times in the box, but nobody gets it on the right foot or the correct foot, I should say. Most of them are left footed. Mm-hmm. And we just don't get a shot off. I was I was screaming at the field the number of times. Just shoot it. For the love of God, just shoot the ball. Um, it felt like a game and it turned out that it was a game where one goal was going to win this game. And yet, like the number of times, there were at least three times that I can recall clearly where you end up with the ball at the foot of either Vasquez or Acosta, and they're in the 18, and they start having to dribble sideways because they haven't gotten the ball to their proper, the, the foot they want to shoot on, and there's no ability to take a quick snapshot, there's no ability to just t- touch the ball onto frame, and you end up with at least, I think, two of the three ones I'm thinking of, no shot comes at all, and the ball gets passed back out and they go back around and inevitably the attacking chance is gone. But I'm just, I'm just begging someone to just rip a shot at goal and just force Blake to do something, force him to knock the ball away or ricochet off someone or do something that just creates a little bit of chaos and just ne- nothing. And it was infuriating. It was very annoying to watch <laughs> at times, but yeah, at the same time, uh, it definitely felt like we had the better chances throughout the night. And I, even compared to Philly's overall offense, I, I would have preferred our chances, our opportunities, our attacking runs to theirs. I don't am I, am I wrong in that one there, Jonah? Uh, I don't know what constitutes a clearance, but they had 26 clearances to R10, which tells me Ooh. they had to clear it more. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, I mean, that's what number, bigger numbers do be bigger. <laughs> yeah, there was one time in the first half, one of these situations of there were, which there were many where Lucho gets on the ball. Not far outside of the. The six yard box and it's it's a goal. I've already seen it in my head. He's going to yes. score this. And it, the shot never comes. Nothing comes of it. And by then, there's 11 Philly players in the box, basically. And there's the moment is passed. And there was a ch- chance earlier. We've all been waiting for Bupenza, after watching his highlights, to get one of these long-range shots because we know he's capable and we know he wants to do it. And you see him setting himself up for those. He had that break. He had players to the left or right. They weren't like perfect run-ins you know it wasn't a guaranteed thing right. he was passing up on but he takes the shot Blake makes the save you could say it was comfortable but he made the save it's like it went out to this he didn't catch it and you could tell the yeah. guys were like annoyed at him I wasn't annoyed at all I was thrilled that he took the shot one because I want to see that outside shot two that was in like the perfect spot for it and three there's a good chance if someone's following that up they could be near that ball to put it back in so that's what we needed. We needed shots. We needed, yeah, Vasquez killing me. It was back to that. Was that last, I don't want to say last year he had so many goals, but there'd be those like, wait, 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 wait. And then it's over. And you're like, no, it was Lucho the other year who like just wouldn't, just wouldn't shoot. It was like, seemed like he just wanted assist or something. Yeah. And there was a few of those moments where just rip it, (laughs) whatever happens, happens. No one's going to be mad. So I, you know, Bupenza didn't have a great night, but I appreciated that a couple times. 
He had one earlier, too, where he took a relatively meek shot that was technically a shot on goal. But, you know, if he connects on that, it's an actual chance. So shout out to anyone who's trying to put a ball in the back of the net. We will. As long as you're not (laughs) skying it to the top row of the Bailey, we are sorry, Barley. We will approve of it. So, yeah, Yeah, we're shooting. There were a number of players last night who really looked like they were playing like FIFA. And the next Xbox achievement they needed to unlock was three assists in a game. So they were <laughs> ignoring obvious shooting opportunities just to try and make the perfect layoff to uh, unlock the achievement, which was was frustrating. But what I, I do want to make sure that doesn't get overlooked on this with the, the striker play specifically is that Bupenza and Vasquez did phenomenal work in the high press and winning the ball back, disrupting Philly's offense. Uh, when they were trying to build out of the back. Uh, Bupenza specifically was a defensive pest in this game. And if you watch what Bupenza was doing on the field, he was drifting centrally as Lucho would move out to the side. So usually in FC Cincinnati's attack, if you've watched it this year, Barial is kind of the person that drifts more central into the middle. But with Barial staying wide to try and force Philly to stay wide as well or to disrupt Philly going wide. But Penza had a lot of defensive responsibilities in the middle. He was almost defending as the 10. He wasn't attacking at the 10, but he was defending as the 10. And I thought Pupenza had an incredible defensive game in this as well, as did Vasquez, but not quite to the level. And it doesn't yeah. over it doesn't make up for the fact that the two of them spoofed several opportunities to score goals. But they no doubt contributed to the fact that we didn't let a goal in last night either. They're yeah. paid to score goals. That's amazing. I do say that a lot. <laughs> I know. There was one <laughs> moment that I don't want to forget about. I believe it might have been off of the second half, off of like a free kick or a corner from Philly. And we kind of had a break. And Yersa Mascara is like leading the break. He's up yes. there on offense trying to get a goal. I Then we turn the ball over. I look back. Bupenza's playing uh, like center back. He's all the way back. This It's like him and Ian Murphy. And he's just back there, like in position, like backing up. And I look at my wife and I was like, look at our new center back. Love this. And like, I can't picture Brenner. <laughs> well, hopefully Brenner's up there trying to score the time. But like, right. it was just wild. I was like, what's he doing back there? It was adorable. So like, it was. I think that's the ultimate show of it. That like, when it came down to it, he's like, I'm willing to play right back or center back in the middle of the game. And then, because, I mean, I wouldn't mind swapping them for 10 minutes. See what Harrison can do up top <laughs> after watching that finish. So, uh, yeah, just, yeah, he, he did do that. It done be like that. It reminded me a little bit of uh, 2019. Kendall Waston was always like the last ditch effort. Throw him up top uh, yeah. to try to get a goal. And he always looked more dangerous than anybody else on the team. You're comparing him to Adi. So. <laughs> right. Adi and Darren Maddox, right. But yeah. like, I don't know. Let's get wild and, and put Mosquera up top for 15 minutes to end a game and just see what happens. Because, I mean, so far, when he's given the opportunity, he, he does tend to, to succeed there. Um, yeah, but no, the Bupenza's effort, I don't think, has ever been in question. And if anybody has been questioning it, you're wrong. <laughs> like You can just say he's a, a bad striker or whatever, but he is trying his ass off out there. Um, 
and yeah, the the coming back to to defend was great when he. Yeah, very late in the game was eventually subbed off for uh, Baji. That was the one thing I was like, "Ooh, will Baji track back as much as Bupenza?" Baji has literally played left back for this team last year, uh, so it's not a knock on Baji. It was just Bupenza was doing that so well, um, it, it didn't want to lose that even at the the very end of the game. Um, Talking about like the yeah. rest of the attack, I did not think Vasquez had a good game at all. Um, like I yeah. said, I, I appreciate yeah. the the defensive efforts that he put in to, on the high press, but he this was another game where he never got himself into threatening positions. And when he did get himself into threatening positions, the ball would be tangled at his feet or he wouldn't be in position to get a shot off. And I don't know. I don't want to ever be critical, um, hypercritical of a player after a win especially a win where the team Mm -hmm. gutted out that kind of a defensive performance to keep a clean sheet minus the pieces they were missing. But man, I don't know, like the last couple months of film on Vasquez, I I'm wondering if there's still a market for him over in Europe or if like he is, or we'll put it this way. Is that uh, Borussia Machin Glad, Guter Glieben, Globen, Globen, whatever the, team was that was <laughs> scouting him from over in the Bundesliga. I'm wondering if that same offer comes in this winter at the same dollar amount, given how badly he's fallen off in terms of his goal scoring production. Yeah, I, I mean, it's definitely an offseason conversation. The good news there is there isn't a target number we have to hit with him in order to make a profit. And given his salary demands and Let's say this run of form, you, you probably take any any sort of offer you get to ship him off and uh, send him on his way. I, I don't know, but yeah, it's been it's been sort of rough, I think, for for Vasquez. Although I think on paper he still scored in you know three of the last six games or something along those lines. So he's still not too too far off uh his regular scoring clip but yeah i agree with you this was a rough performance and similarly this was one of the few times where i think acosta has been fairly pedestrian or anonymous and the team hasn't looked terrible because of it like this team was always historically as goes acosta so goes the team and yet he had a quiet night, not a bad performance, just a quiet night generally, and yet came away with the win, and I still think was fairly dominant on the night. I I don't know. I don't know if there's another way to, if anybody else has a different take on Acosta's performance or anything. But I wonder if you watched the game from like a Philly perspective of, we're going to, I don't know what you... I didn't see it live. Like, we're going to take Acosta out of the game. You'd imagine that's something a team might do as the uh, presumptive MVP. So if you watch it like that, can you see how it was that way? But you would hope your best player, like everyone plans to do that with um, the little player who shall not be named. But, you know, it doesn't work (laughs) out that way. You you know, you say you're going to take the best player out. So he could have still had those moments like he like that time he had the ball in the box like he could have made a moment here a couple of those his chemistry with Bupenza wasn't really existent you could yeah. uh, say that everyone was a little rusty 
So I'm just hoping it's one of those games where it's not like we're going to see it again versus the crew when we need it the most, or that's just kind of out of the system. And this is the biggest stage. She was obviously like emotional and super relieved, excited after the game as one would be, but like, you know, he cares a lot. I, we're going to, he's, it's not going to be lack of effort in the next game. If he doesn't have a great game, if anything, he might try to do too much, but yeah, I don't remember a lot of, nutmegs attempted nutmegs there weren't he didn't get those moments on the sideline one-on-one very much maybe one or two but it wasn't one of those games so it could have been something philadelphia did or it could have been the way the game shook out but yeah we could have done it without him being amazing but it just ended up we went on the last second of the game (laughs) when he's not involved at all (laughs) it wasn't it was it wasn't his best game um but there was a very clear effort from Philly that they had, I think it was, was it Martinez? I want to say it was, that was just tracking mm-hmm. him the entire match. Uh, they, there were, they were not going to let Lucho Acosta beat him, beat them. Fair. You would expect a, the MVP of the league to rise up above that. But what I liked yeah. about Lucho's game was that we have seen in the past when Lucho has decided that he needs to be, the person doing something that that's when you get the, I don't want to call it bad Lucho, but you get the Lucho where it's like, there's three guys in front of me. I'm going to nutmeg all three and inevitably it doesn't work out. So I, I appreciate number one, that Lucho, he, he played, he played the ball where it needed to go. He was a point guard in this game more than he has been in the past because you know, it's not working for him. Number two, we didn't get any of the, Lucho loses himself in the moment of the game moments. He played disciplined. He played Mm -hmm. under control. I think there was only one really bad foul that he had. That was one of his frustration fouls where he kicked a man so loudly in his heels that you could hear the impact in the Bailey. And somehow he didn't get a yellow card for it, which was amazing. Um, So, yeah, I, I, I think it's a good sign for Lucho that even when he's not on his best night, that he still kept his composure. He still was making the passes that facilitated the offense. It just, the entire game, it just looked like everything was a half step off just on these little through balls. I know that he played one ball back to Vasquez on a break where Vasquez had to hold up to get it, and it completely ruined what otherwise was a decent break and a decent scoring opportunity. It was just a little bit of, it was an accumulation of a lot of little things like that that I think kept him from having a, Lucho Acosta kind of night and you hope that's just a one-off thing that now that they're back playing games they don't have three weeks off that he's a little more in rhythm coming up in the next week yeah I I mean thinking back on it too I seem to remember some of Acosta's worst games come against Philadelphia like they do seem to have a game plan for managing him and and playing him out of matches. And if you think back to last year's playoff match, that was the story of that match, which was Acosta was unable to perform any of his little tricks and his his magic on the night. And we looked sort of lifeless going forward and just sort of defended for our lives. So, yeah, I mean, it, it seems to be a game plan of theirs. And yet... This team is now so versatile and so, you know, better equipped in other positions that they're able to 
overcome that that we can we can beat teams in other ways even if it's three of our defenders combining to score a goal um so i don't know do we want to run through this chronologically i are are there just sort of like major moments i don't know how how well people have this sort of memorized or scripted or or whatever else but um yeah, I'm I'm happy to do whatever. I I, I we can try let's to run just, through this chronologically, but I let's just get up to the goal because there was like yeah, <laughs> there were this game was from a spectator's point of view, it was just the anxiety slowly ratcheting up from. I would wouldn't say it started on a one. It started on like a five when it was announced Obi wasn't dressing for the game at all. It yeah. couldn't even be a a late sub. So it was just sort of this anxiety-ridden mess. And like Jonah said earlier, there was never a part of this game where I felt Philly was threatening or where they started, I know, like to use the commentator cliche, turning the screws at any point. Mm -hmm. There was never that sustained pressure that leads you to believe, oh, a goal's going to come any minute now. Their attacks came in fits and starts. I think they probably over the course of this game had one shot that was worrying that Roman had to make a save on in like the 80th minute or like the 75th minute or something like that. And they had yeah. one chance earlier in the game where uh, they had a ball to a man making a run at the back post who just skied the ball well over the goal. But there was never that feeling of dread. The feeling of dread was just this generalized sense of, you know, once a game like this, this gets to the 70th minute and it's scoreless, you start to come to grips with this reality that next goal wins and there's just not going to be enough time to come back from a score if they score this in regulation and we don't get to go to extra time on it. So, yeah, there, I, I don't yeah. I don't particularly have anything that was memorable about this this game, just about just more. A, a supreme enjoyment of how hard they were playing defensively and the idea that just Philly wanted to run and wanted to counter and they never got to land a good punch on the counter. Yeah. Yeah. I think for me, a couple when, of when moments. When Kevin says, yeah, like that, it's like, it's code for eh, good talk. <laughs> no, I like, I liked it. Hey, I liked it. No, I was just, there's God two damn, moments Kevin. that stick out to me. We, well, we, we discussed the Bupenza long range shot, which could not agree more. Want to see more of it. If Blake doesn't get it, it's going in. So it was on frame. It was weird bouncing thing and he couldn't hold on to it. Yeah, man. Let's do three, three, four of those a game. That would be awesome. Kubo, get in there too. Uh, no, there was, uh, Roman had an incredible save what the 85th minute i want to say uh it's a real knuckleball of a shot that he was able to punch away with both hands incredible incredible uh moment basically the only time i can really remember he was well and truly called into action to uh to save a goal there and then the other one is our our son yerson mosquera uh, <laughs> I, forgot, I forgot about this <laughs> Taking a uh, what did I, I don't remember if it was a because um, I I was opposite side of the field here. It was, it was like either a, a nudge, yeah, a so nudge it was, that he took to the face. Uh, yeah, no, it, it was it was perfect. I wouldn't change anything about it. It was 
<laughs> it was in following uh, a set piece or it was immediately preceding a set piece. He had been in it with somebody from from Philly. I didn't see who it was. Uh, they it was whoever it was was um, shit. He had a yellow card at the time. So like they were de- uh, Mosquera was definitely trying to bait a second yellow out of this guy. Probably Carranza. And- Carranza. It was Carranza. And uh, going shoulder to shoulder with Carranza, Carranza kind of gives him one of those like get away from me nudges. And as soon as he does that, Mascara flies backwards with his hands going up to his face and hits the deck and is writhing around in agony with his hand over his face. And in the Bailey, in the moment, I was like, oh, he felt contact on the face. (laughs) <laughs> We're going to get a VAR challenge out of this. He's selling it because he wants a VAR challenge. And then you go back and you watch it on the broadcast and the commentary team, who I generally, I like this commentary team. I've been on, re, I've been on record as saying, I think that these are the two best commentators. This is the best pairing that you can get for an MLS match on Apple TV. <clears throat> the, the one guy Higginbottom, I think was Philly's color guy for a number yeah, of yeah. years. Uh, Usually doesn't let that show, except in this moment, this man with a painfully British accent, the disdain in his voice for when he says, <laughs> there's no place in the game like for that with for that for me. He's trying to get another man sent off. That's not right. He's too talented to be doing things like this. It, it brought me joy all over again <laughs> with just how angry Gerson Mascara made this professional journalist. It makes him funnier like the Barley's chanting VAR. VAR. And no, like, meanwhile, <laughs> you bar, actually see it. We're chanting VAR, which if we had seen a decent replay of this, I would have been like, yeah, let's lay out on this one. This is not this is not one we need to look at again. The the VAR is going to award Mascara a yellow card if it come if it if it's looked at for this. But you can hear on the broadcast just VAR going loud in the background <laughs> as they're talking about just a shameful display of uh, cynical football yeah. from your Yeah, VAR, he gets sent off. Where he, did you start the uh, let him die chant when Jose Martinez was actually <laughs> injured? Yeah. Was like, yeah, yeah. You, you win some, you lose some. <laughs> I, yeah. So the Muscara thing was got me because, again, I'm opposite of the Bailey, and I was basing my reaction on the Bailey's reaction and the Bailey genuinely felt aggrieved at whatever happened to Mosquera. Like the reaction was so quick from those first few rows to be immediately upset by it. And um, yeah, it was, it was absolutely nothing. So well done. Uh, when he got there. up, he, then, he yeah, decided it was, it was uh, like right here. I forget who. Yeah. Rubbing his face like right yeah, by the right. chin. That's where he decided he got hurt when he stood up. But yeah, yeah now, ahead, I know Kevin. that there was a scene that was similar to this, and well, not similar to this, but it was it was sort of touched upon in Ted Lasso, which I don't trust for actual soccer content at all, given how bad the soccer scenes looked in that show. But yeah. there was a, a moment in one of the Ted Lasso episodes where Roy Kent uh, leans down to whoever it is that's fallen down. He's like, "Are you okay? Oh yeah, I'm definitely okay." All right, you're going to get up, you're going to limp, you're going to say that you're okay to carry on and get your cheers. I'm wondering, though, in these moments when Mascara is down, he's clutching his face. Is he telling anyone on his own team, I'm good, just play along? Or do they get genuinely (laughs) concerned in that moment that something might be really wrong with him? And if he doesn't do that at this point, shouldn't the default be if Yerson Mascara is on the ground? Yeah, fuck him. He's all right. 
<laughs> or do you as a teammate, even knowing that he's probably full of shit, you have to go check on him to help him sell what he's doing. Because if you all just like walk away and just let him writhe on the ground, it doesn't help his case for trying to draw a card or a foul. Yeah, I think you just have to you just have to always assume he is hurt, right? Like that is the move. You just always have to assume he's dying. Uh we we have to be very very, you know, worried about him because you have to play along. He has gotten red cards on the opposing team for this. He has won penalties for this. You've just got to trust his instincts here and and play along with him. He is, I will say, genuinely a good actor when it comes to this. Like he he gets me once a game where it's like, oh shit, is mascara hurt? Is this what happens now? And uh no, he's always fine. He's always bounces right back up. But do you, th- do you think well, team- or that's it, right? right? Yeah. Do you think teams have like a code word though? like potato or something like that and if like he says that then it's everybody's cue oh don't worry about it okay he's embellishing we'll play along but we're not actually worried don't get the the trainers out or anything like that what would be a good code i'm trying to like you don't want the other team to know right because you can't you can't make it super obvious but you need like a it needs to be plausibly something something that you would say when you're hurt but also not something that you might accidentally say when you're actually hurt. So it can't be like, ah, shit, or something like that. That's got to be... I mean, Dios mio? Hmm. <laughs> <laughs> right? Like, <laughs> ah, Dios mio. Spanish. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just really doing fine. that. <laughs> the problem is, Gia Kubo saying Dios mio. That's why he's never gotten a call. It's because he's using Spanish. <laughs> and the ref's I'm like, get up. We know. I'm not going to try to do it. <laughs> I, I love that. Yeah. yeah I mean, Dios Surely mio, there but is. then Ray, Ray Gaddis won't take the Lord's name in vain. So he's never actually gotten a. Uh, no one's actually ever been able to determine whether or not he's faking. <laughs> <laughs> hey, my my man Ray Gaddis would never bear false witness. All right, so he is mm-hmm. he's not going to be out there flopping around. Uh, so let's get to the goal, shall we? That is that is truly well and truly why we are here. Uh, it comes off of uh, if I remember this correctly, it's a a cost of free kick in the midfield who passes it to Barial, who then crosses it into uh to murphy jumps up heads the ball very nicely to the feet of yersa muscara takes a very slight touch before burying the game winning goal exactly how we would have drawn it up uh, apparently they did not draw this up in training they've never practiced or worked on this particular routine maybe they should it worked very well and Wait, is that con- um, is that confirmed that yeah, this isn't a play just, they work on in training I thought I read something like that from Laurel. I could have just misread it or, or misremembered inc- it, but that's yeah. incredible. If so, <laughs> yeah, because it comes. Uh, as, it's Acosta takes the kick uh, on the uh, near the coaching side of the uh, the coaching sideline, back over across the field to Barial. I guess just because they wanted Barial to take this kick, and it just wasn't in a good <laughs> position for him to take this kick. And uh, no one there with him. He gets to pick his, his, his spot out. And what I love about the, the goal is that if you are going to ask a player like uh, Mascara, uh, a center back, to score a goal, 
you want to make it as easy of a goal as possible. Something that's like they've practiced, something that like you're not asking him to do something spectacular. And if you look where he takes this goal from, ultimately, it's basically the penalty spot. So he, in right. that moment, just buries a penalty in the uh, lower left-hand corner of the net. And like, yeah, that's a shot he's probably practiced a thousand times in his career. You're not asking him to do anything <laughs> extraordinary. It's just line it up and take a PK right there in real time. Right. Uh, I just I'm trying to think like trying to contextualize where this goal ranks in terms of important goals. And it really, I guess, plays more into the the game. But I don't know, Jonah, where where would you put this goal in terms of important goals in FC history? Like where where does this one end up ranking for you? I don't know. Does it change if we something bad happens next week? Is it not? You know, I it, I it felt yeah. more like the goals. If we go way back, like the Open Cup. Actually, no, there was no goals that game. But like those goals are like scoring against the Red Bulls when they're in the Open Cup years ago. It's like those were like just like ecstasy. This one was like sweet relief because like. Like we all know anything can happen in those 30 minutes and then a penalty shootout. Like I could, I wasn't prepared for that. I couldn't handle that. And so I was just, I was like, good. We deserved this. We're relieved. We keep playing. And then, you know, we sit there for a while and like, why aren't we, why isn't the game restarting? But I, you know, <laughs> I don't think it's top. You think it should be based on it's the most important game, but I, I don't know. Is it, is it a little tainted by the discourse? I mean, it's it's top 10 without having to think about it. Um, top five, most likely. Top three, I got to I gotta think about it a little more. But, I mean, yeah, yeah it's probably the most important goal ever. Because the most important goals yeah. in USL were actually saves, not <laughs> more than the goals <laughs> themselves. So, yeah, definitely most important. I have a hard time thinking anything will ever top GB against the Columbus crew that might live forever. This is close though. And it's a big goal. This is the pressure is on this team because like there's been a lot of rat poison given to this team since the end of the year, you've got winning the supporter shield, but then on top of winning the supporter shield, this is now a team with the defender of the year, the coach of the year, when you listen to this on Monday, it will have most likely been revealed with the most valuable player in the league officially with the announcement set to come tomorrow or Monday. To a certain extent, if they don't score in this game, the narrative today and the narrative next week is FC Cincinnati with a disappointing exit from the MLS Cup playoffs. Now, I think reaching the conference finals. I don't think that you get that narrative if they somehow don't advance, that this is not a massive disappointment that they didn't make it to MLS Cup. Um, I think that by scoring this goal, it kind of that there was a lot of pressure to win this game. I think not as much pressure as there will be to win next week in yeah. the most important game in the history <laughs> of soccer in Cincinnati. <laughs> but oh. yeah, I think this is a pretty big goal. I put this as number two, I think. Yeah. I, that's that's about where I put it as well. GB's goal against Crew matters quite a bit, and yeah, I mean we'll see what happens this weekend. But 
<laughs> we maybe do already have an opportunity to surpass all of those previous goals this this weekend. So, so let's talk can about. We, can we can we yeah. talk about? Can we address the elephant in the room here? We need to. We need okay. to. On a scale of one to ten, how shocked were you that in this moment, uh, the officials' union didn't choose to exact their revenge for all of the transgressions that have occurred both in locker rooms and disputing accounts of what happened in locker rooms over the last three weeks. So my ranking is nine out of 10 surprise. I'm shocked. I thought for sure this entire match was going to be a screw job. I thought this was, you know, we saw last year what can happen if you, if you go against the, the family, the, the so mob. to speak. Yeah. <laughs> like we, we know what is on the table at least, uh, but we didn't get that. And this game, I, I, I know everybody has their quibbles, but in general, I think this was a very well officiated game. Sure, there were some calls I don't like, and sure, there were some offside calls I was a little confused about, particularly the one that happened right at midfield. That was a bold call on that one. But in general, I thought it was a pretty good... Is that the the call where somehow they called offside despite the fact that there was someone on Aaron Bupenz's back? Yeah. Yeah, like, you know. <laughs> the physics just didn't make sense on that call. It was very weird. But I think in general, it was a well, well officiated match. And then you consider the curve I was willing to grade this going in. And this was as great of a performance as we could have possibly expected from the referees from an FCC perspective. But now I'm sitting here on Sunday and I'm thinking, okay, hang on. What if this was their way of being even because Miyazaki is getting a season long ban on Monday. And so they, they, they look like, you know, they're, they're playing it even keeled here by giving and taking at the same time. (laughs) I'm worried for the actual punishment, basically. Can I suggest though, that I really believe in this moment, the proper response from FC Cincinnati and FC Cincinnati fans should be disengagement with the debate. Um, mm. Oh, yes. And the reason why is this is. We've been on the wrong end of some of these calls before last year against Columbus, where mm. Nick Haglin's mystery um, <laughs> 15 foot foot or 25 inch foot mysteriously keeping the Columbus player, I think it was Zellerion. Was that who was onside? Derek Etienne Jr. Etienne, even worse. <laughs> mysteriously keeping him onside. And all this shit with, you know, vanishing points and pixels and measurements and estimating where various appendages are. Mm. Mm. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. I love some good appendage. Turn the lights good, off. Good, Let's go. Good We're talking measuring, about, baby. You're talking about drawing lines. Okay, next time. Keep going. Yeah. Don't the stop. Only, <laughs> the only line I want is the one going up, baby. Um, Don't stop. But just it's it's such an insufferably stupid debate. We are debating that the 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 dweeb, the offsides line guy. That's like the holy grail of all this. His conclusion was I had to estimate. And I'm guessing it's about two inches or three inches offside. Like, look, I don't want to be the one on this podcast that's underestimating the power of three inches, but 
It's three <laughs> fucking inches. Okay. Like the idea that a line judge standing however many 30, 40 yards away from a play is going to be able to in real time differentiate between two inches on and two inches off as people are moving while also trying to have the exact right moment when the ball is struck. We are we are going so far down the rabbit hole with trying to have precision in these kinds of decisions that to be aggrieved when, oh, he might have been two inches off. If someone might have been two inches off, they're fucking onside. OK, it's just right. it is so close to whatever the mystical on off line is that it's not even worth debating about. And whatever call gets made two inches on two inches off. If you want to say I'm unable to enjoy a soccer game until every single one of those are called precisely correctly each time, sports aren't for you, man. I'm sorry. It's it's a human game played by humans, officiated by humans. And I hate what VAR has turned this into, where it's this idea that if we have an unlimited amount of time to review and we spend time drawing lines, we can reach some mathematical precision as to where moving people are at all times and what leaning they're doing and what stepping they're doing. It's just, it's not even worth debating. The call was onside. VAR checked it as onside. It's a stupid debate to have. Yeah, I, I could not agree more. And a large part of this, I think, of the debate, of which I am not partaking, but I am commenting on, um, <laughs> is... Is I think confusion with how specifically the Premier League handles their VAR checks versus MLS and fans, especially casual fans, maybe tuning in during the playoffs uh, or not paying attention that closely during the regular season or maybe not caring that much during the regular season, but confusing the two sets of rules here because the Premier League and MLS treat VAR offside rules differently. So in the Premier League, if it goes to VAR, and I believe like all the scoring opportunities do, um, they will sit there and draw lines using the Hawkeye technology. And if a player is found a millimeter offside, they flag it as offside and the call is, you know, the call is is given as offside. In MLS, we do not do that. The referees do not draw a line. So the VAR does review every single play, every single call. They do check it, but they do not draw lines. They look at the various camera angles they have. And if they believe there is a clear and obvious error, they recommend the center referee to take another look themselves. The VAR crew presents the video evidence to the center referee. The center referee says, whether or not they made the right call and then they they confirm or or deny whatever the call was and they they go with the now hopefully correct call but those are two different systems um both require the error though to be clear and obvious when it goes to VAR but not with offside that is it's a little different between the two and i think people are are confusing that so even if the VAR sat there and drew lines for 15 minutes and figured out that he was indeed 1 inch offside they are not going to tell the referee to overturn that because it wasn't clear and obvious to the human eye in real time which is what they're supposed to be checking for now 
we had been fucked over by this exact logic not being applied. And all this podcast has ever wanted was consistency with the rules. So if the rule is, hey, we ruled it this way, we don't have good evidence to overturn it, then the ruling on the field stands. Great. Love it. Let's keep going with that. But if you're going to go down to an objective measure, then yes, bring in Hawkeye, bring in your line drawing. And if he's found to be three inches offside, then let's call it offside. But you don't get to pick and choose when when it hurts your team or helps your team. I just need a clear, consistent standard to to go off of. Um, so uh, I, don't, I, I never I never want the Hawkeye system ever. No, I just I, I just it, I hate it in the Premier League. I, I'm not just saying that because it, I don't know what it would have said about this particular call. I just I don't find it compelling or interesting when we are judging things down to the millimeter and the centimeter of whether or not somebody was onside or offside. I just I don't. It's not interesting. It doesn't make the sport better. And I'm all for the rule change Arsene Wenger once where we're going to simplify offsides and Make it so that uh, it's easier to be an attacker as opposed to a defender in these situations. I don't like goals being called back over a fucking half inch done by some laser computer system that determined that we're going to call a goal back on this. I don't like it. Not for it. And I think. Yeah, I'm sorry. I think the Premier League does make it where I feel like in the past it was benefit the like when a tie goes to the runner right. in the case where like, if you're not sure it should be for the offense and yeah, Kevin's right. Cause we had Brenner had like three where that wasn't the case. If you're looking at it, yeah, they're not going to overturn it because they're not sure, but they gave the benefit of the doubt the other way. Right. So I think the narrative kind of got set, especially on the broadcast. Cause you look at that with the naked eye, the ones, the first time they stop, he looks like well offside. And then the thing that the drawings of the lines did to this is to show, okay, maybe technically he was, but this is the linesman makes a decent call. And you know, we're lucky cause any, he's used to five offsides in our game. He could have just as easily thrown right. the flag up and they're not taking the goal away. I mean, they're not, giving us the goal they're yeah. calling that you can't flip that the other way either so if they just want to that's why i don't mind mls not having lines but just like if it's going to be that close and we always know that you're going to give those to the offensive player i think everybody would be fine with it if that's just known like we're not going to split hairs but yeah. really it's up to the line it's always going to be up to the linesman i think it should just the var should just be for the ones like oh come on like this guy was Right. Like a st a step, two steps ahead, and somehow you missed it, and then we can correct that. But yeah, splitting hairs, stupid. But yeah, yeah I I think the lines were important just because they were like, how could this? How could this be? <laughs> it's the headline of that fucking article you shared, yeah. Kevin. Like, yeah, FCC gets away. I mean, the the article wasn't as bad as the headline, but it's basically like, how did FCC get away with like, right? You think it was the worst offsides call ever, and then you get the modeling guy, and he's like. It's fucking the length of your index finger or right. your pinky finger at and that. And, and so maybe yeah. because I'm guessing at where the guy's foot is. Right. Like, yeah, right. and you're guessing. And Philly players are like, well, the linesman should see this in real time. And you're like, it in real no. time? Like, <laughs> it looked more onside, you know? Right. And In real time, it, it looked like, because that's what happens when everything's going the other way right after the ball's kicked. Like, it... 
it was even more onside looking. So yeah, the linesman's not going to pick those up every time. And yeah, we deserve to be on the end of this. That's the bottom line. (laughs) We deserve to be on the correct end. Uh, The karmic scales are finally coming back, but yeah, it was not egregious. And if I'm a Philly fan, yeah, I'm going fucking shit crazy. Can you imagine how many tweets me and Joe would have if it was going the other way? But you know, that's the way the cookie crumbles. So we're just going to have to deal with it. I did get some inside info on this from someone who, I will go nameless, but has slid into the DMs before that has some inner workings of how the uh, the refereeing works in this league. And apparently the uh, the inside chatter on this is that there was apparently number one, I think they mentioned this on the broadcast at some point, that the VAR had a much better angle that mm. wasn't shown on the broadcast that made things pretty clear in their mind that they didn't believe a clear and obvious error had happened. And part of it as well, and this is interesting, is that the, uh, the, the, the chatter was is that the kick from Barrial was so hard in that moment and such a snapshot that offside and onside really does depend on which of two frames mm. you want to say is the strike point for the ball. And it's because Murphy is coming back onside from an offside position. Um, He's moving back towards the shot. He's not drifting further offside, which is usually gets people that depending on which of these two frames you chose, that would have, in fact, changed what the decision was. And it's another thing, too, that's important to remember about a lot of this stuff is that when you're watching this on a television. Without getting too deep into the science of this, the life moves at an infinite number of frames per second (laughs) just it's it's limited only by how perceptive your eyeball is when you put something on television especially streaming television streaming television and television digital television in general they use a lot of tricks to smooth motion out and make it seem like you are seeing smooth motion when really you're possibly getting only 45, 60 frames per second. And with the speed at which a lot of this moves, yeah, I think Mamey commented on this, that even when Apple puts the game up on the replay, they compress the stream down and you lose frames for re-watching the game. We're just dropping frames out to make it so that it's a much more manageable stream to download on an internet connection. And so, yeah, in these situations, it really does matter the real time versus the watching on a recording. And also it matters what type of recording you're watching on as to which frames and which moments of reality are actually captured on the video, which makes all of this all the more absurd at these levels of uh, analysis when you don't even know if the camera picked up the exact right moment when Barial struck the ball. Like it might just not exist. Right. Yeah. And it's when a player first touches the ball when kicking it, which makes it even weirder. So it's not when the ball leaves its foot, it's when his foot makes contact with the ball. You you start going down a rabbit hole that you will never get out of. If somebody really, truly wants to nerd out on it, I will highly recommend, um, 
a YouTuber uh, named Captain Disillusion. He's very funny, very entertaining feller. Uh, but he uh, he's got a great video on frame rate, and he does a good job of like giving you like classic Bill Nye style education on frame rate with your television. Uh, yeah, it's insane. So yes, it comes down to which frame you pick with this. I will say. If you're looking for a system, I don't like Arsene Wenger's system because what it does is is it just changes where you're drawing the line. So you're still going to be offside by a millimeter. You're just now on the other side of the defender instead of the still, you know the back side. Still better. But this is the system. You need the Hawkeye with the actual line as much as you can to the millimeter. However, you give it a six inch buffer on either side. So you keep the call on the field if the line is within a six inch buffer or if the players are within a six inch buffer of the actual line so that you still rely on the, the linesman's judgment or the assistant referees. Wow. Excuse me. Uh, judgment and the call. Uh, but if it's egregious, so if it's over six inches, then you call it onside or offside. So if they're off by that margin, then you overturn it. But if they're within the margin of error, you stick with whatever the, the assistant referee saw. That feels like a way better system. I think that's the system they use in the Netherlands. Somebody can correct me on that. Um, but that, that gives you a, a little bit of grace, and it does catch the egregious ones, and you let these these moments slide through. So. Nah, see, I'm, I'm all in on Grayson's system that he talked about last week, where you give the officials two chances to watch the play at real-time speed, and mm. unless they see something wrong with the call, we're sticking with what's on the field. I I, I like that one, too. This is where, yeah, we get into body cam footage. And you have to actually, like, use the, the AR's body cam footage to make your determination of offside. <laughs> my, uh, my, my, the line shot I use, I, the ball is like, you can tell it's a blur. The ball is mm -hmm. coming off his foot. And then I send it to someone. He's like, hey, go, no, go one frame back. I'm like, this is the best one. And I go one frame back on mine, which is like, I'm screen grabbing it at 30 frames per second the next frame back his foot is like a foot behind the ball ready to kick it <laughs> the next frame forward the ball is in the air and i don't does does Damn. uh do they broadcast in 60 frames per second like is it a true 60 frames per second or is it 30 frames and maybe they like interpolate so, it so that you could be on a 60 frame tv and it looks okay but yeah, yeah. there's literally like the frame you want didn't exist. It was like, put it where it's right on his foot. Like that doesn't exist. Like <laughs> you'd think maybe there's like one camera behind a goal or something. That's like, everything's recording at 120 frames per second, but that's not really necessary except for things like this. So yeah, you're not going to get that perfect frame. And when an offsides that it literally is the difference between on and off. So yeah, maybe he was uh, on <laughs> a quick, a quick Google search indicates that Apple TV uh, can display at either 60, 50, 30, 25 or 24 frames per second depending on uh, your region. Aha, frame mates match, match the refresh region appropriate for your region. NTSC, which is North America, 29.97 frames per second. So you, it's, it's a nerdy conversation and it's like yes. really stupid, <laughs> but it just underlines how stupid the idea of trying to go back and draw lines on a broadcast, uh, on broadcast footage truly is when you're just not getting everything on the broadcast that exists in reality the broadcast is not a replica of what happened on the field 
it's a good approximation in many senses, many senses, but it's not actually in a one for one. Everything that occurred in this game is accurately replicated on the broadcast because the size of the encoding to do that would just be astronomical to no real benefit because the human eye doesn't perceive that way. Right. Yeah. I I thought, uh, so you read the thing there. I thought it was that Apple broadcasts in 30 frames per second, but uses a higher bit rate to transfer the data. So you end up with a much smoother, cleaner looking broadcast, but not actually increasing the total number of frames, which again, you get real nerdy in this shit. So. And this is what um, you come to the yeah. postcast for. You thought you came to the postcast to get an insightful breakdown of this game. You ended up with three people, none of whom hold an engineering, yeah. none of whom hold an engineering degree of any sort, talking about frame rates and streaming and compression. Uh, as a high school dropout, I can say with authority. <laughs> What's funny is like you're talking about some of those offsides. I'm my seats are. Uh, a little bit to the left of midfield mm-hmm. um, going away from the Bailey. And I'm, I'm watching the front three a lot, even like waiting for the ball to get played back. I saw most watching live. I'm watching them when those offsides calls are made. I think they were all legit. They were all, right. <laughs> they all actually were off. Cause they were, I was like perfectly in line with almost all of them. And that one where like a guy had, that's just how ridiculous offsides is sometimes. And that people, we don't want to point anybody out, but people were very angry, even FCC fans about that offside call at the end of the game, yeah. because it's so deceiving. And it's really like a fucking butt hair difference between on and off. And I'm like the only I'm, I I yell off that you're off and then they play it to him and he's offside and everyone around me is screaming like, oh, that's impossible that it's offside. Like not screaming to me. And I'm like, not only is it possible, it fucking was because <laughs> they're staring. The referee is staring at the front line and listening, kind of looking at the ball getting kicked and then he's raising his flag. So the fact that he this guy, the fact this guy who raised it five <laughs> times on us, he caught everyone all of a sudden doesn't catch it. He's fucking looking for it. Trust right. me. OK, right. he was on his P's and Q's. <laughs> he knew it was coming. So, yeah, as far as I'm concerned, a legit goal. And we don't want to take away from how fantastic of a goal it was to begin with. Yeah, yeah, it was it was so good. It was so, so fun. And yeah, I, I just like the fact that people are now at the point where like. They think it's a conspiracy that MLS desperately wanted Cincinnati in yeah. the MLS conference des- finals. Desperately rigging the conference finals to get two small market teams from flyover country into uh, into MLS Cup, into the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah, right. that makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that the referees union is going to rig this for a team where they just <laughs> accuse one of their players of barging into a locker room. Yeah, that makes a lot of that makes a lot of sense in this whole situation. And. Also, on this subject as well, if you are an FC Cincinnati fan and Mm. you are apologizing for this win and you are saying, I wanted to win, but not like this, I I want you, I I am banning you from TQL Stadium for the Eastern Conference Finals. (laughs) I don't want you there. I would rather have a crew fan in the stadium than have an FC Cincinnati fan that is apologizing for winning. What's the difference? That's right. (laughs) It's like, yeah, yeah, go ahead. Just like, I want to win classy. Like, 
Nah, man, I don't. No. I Tell me you, you don't understand the sport. You do not understand the sport of soccer. There is also, no such thing as a classy win. There is just a win. And no like, one will remember either. Right. And like, have you seen our team? Miazga, Mascara, Lucho, Baria. We're not winning classy, guys. Like, it's, it's like we are we are well and truly the villains of this league. We have shithousers galore on this roster. Like, you're not getting the oh my god, you got hurt here. Let's let's score our own goal because that'll make it the true fair. No, fuck that. We're winning. Screw you guys. We finished dead last for three years. We get a couple of these breaks. We've earned it. And um yeah, I don't know. Like if MLS is is going to be scripted and it's all a conspiracy, good, fine. We suffered. We've paid for this moment. So yeah, you know, no one to wants us. to watch it. No one wants to watch any of these teams. Right. I mean, like, who are they going to rig it for? Like, right. like, like, they don't want the Philly crew, the Philly Orlando. Like, none of these matchups are like the the, the national. Yeah. Like, you everyone's see, salivating if, over these matchups. If they're rigging this, they're doing a terrible job because as we tape this, you're one of these three teams so far is going to win MLS Cup. Cincinnati, Columbus and Houston. Like, these aren't the teams that you're trying to sell the world on, man. Right. Now, also, we'll can we. Yeah. Can we ban? We're already banning those people from the stadium. Can we also ban the large group on this Facebook post rooting for Columbus during that game oh. because they're dreaming of another hell is real. Save I'm hearing storylines galore. On this. Yeah, oh. we can save that for later. But just like oh. people. I, I don't believe really in karma or like, you know, good things happen to good people. I think we're all just flying around. What was it? Was that Forrest Gump? But we're the feather. But yes. <laughs> stop putting these things out into the world, man. It's just, it's just bad. It's just all around bad. So, yeah, Kevin, where do you, where do you want to take us? No, I just, I, I cannot believe it. For whatever reason, it feels particularly prominent on Reddit. I don't know what it is. That's like super, like apologetic self-hating fcc fan that this is was, just like so desperate for the love and attention of other fans it's so weird the pft on part of my take had a point about this and that's it if you ever have to start a statement with as a insert fan here oh. uh, <laughs> think twice and delete it just don't say it whatever yeah, it always, is always retweeting those where he's like as this uh, like Let's say Burrow gets hurt. Like as a Steelers fan, I still hate to see that. Like, oh, thanks, man. Wow, <laughs> wow. <laughs> you want a fucking medal for that? Like, <laughs> hey, man, I'm a Bills fan. Even I hate. I even I hate to see Rogers go out like that. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> like, you can just shut up. Uh, and yeah, Kevin, I really stepped in it. What was what was the one people were? Uh, I was calling, basically oh, calling yeah. an FCC fan a cuck because he was like, oh, yeah, I don't know if this should have been goal of the year. And I was like, how about you just, yes. just you know, I was just like going oh. back and I'm getting downvoted to oblivion. But I'm like, hey, man, are you riding with us or right. not? Because I thought I thought we were riding together and you just like want everyone to see like, hey, I admit like that other one was actually pretty good. It's like you don't have to do that. They don't need you. Yeah. <laughs> we need you. I mean, we don't. don't. Fuck you. But yeah, I, I, I've had this opinion for a very long time. I don't trust anybody who claims to not have bias or claims to be an unbiased uh, observer or commentator on things. Sure, sports, but I will go politics, 
economy, whatever you want with it. I don't believe you the second you tell me you don't have a bias. That's just you trying to hide your bias. I would much, much, much rather have the commentators of, again, whatever your subject is your, right? But like, you tell me up front your perspective on this, and then I can understand your analysis. And I can understand why you would mention some things and not mention other things. Like if you are, you know, a hardcore union guy, like, and I'm not talking Philly, like construction union, you're a Teamster guy, and you've got takes on like monopoly power in the US, great. I know where you're coming from. You have you have very particular opinions and thoughts, and you're not going to mention these other pieces of evidence that might hurt your story. But if you tell me that you're like this neutral, unbiased person, and you still are, you know, selectively choosing your arguments and mentioning some things and not others, that makes you a liar. <laughs> I just I hate that. I hate that so much. And the fact that somebody would try to like bring that to sports, where it's like the one part of your life where you're allowed to be an absurdist about like your opinions on things and you're allowed to have outlandish thoughts. Like, yeah, not only was Murphy uh onside, uh the other five offside calls were wrong too. Like, good. Yes. That's where yeah. you should be. Because <laughs> nothing makes more sense in life than an unbiased fanatic, which right. is really, <laughs> when you're saying I'm an unbiased fan, that's what you're really saying. <laughs> right. I'll get into a street fight for my team, but I will feel bad about your team losing. So just so you know, <laughs> I hate that I had to hurt you this way. <laughs> right. <laughs> Why'd you make me do this? Um, yeah, uh, what a fun game. And then the rest of Extra Time went out. We had a breakaway. Uh, it was called offside. Uh, but so be it. We win, and they didn't. Um, amazing. I guess we should mention this real quick. Uh, the lack of substitutes used in this game. The later this game went on, the more it felt like, uh, I don't know, like a classic war movie of like, the reinforcements aren't coming. We're on our own. We've we've got to see this out with Gaddison Powell. There is no Arius, you know, riding no. over the the hill to come save us. The ghost of Yapstam momentarily <laughs> inherited the sidelines. Yeah. So substitutes. What are they? Right. The and yeah, even for Philly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. It was so weird. Um, it was begging yeah. for a sub too. Like yes, we were. <laughs> completely out of ideas if you watch the game highlights there's like six moments in the first half then it's like skips to the 80th minute there's like one <laughs> at the beginning of the second half and it skips all the way ahead and that's because like nothing like they weren't doing much we weren't doing much nothing i get this you get the sense what's happening yeah. you get yeah. the sense that around minute 70 that both noonan and Curtin were mentally prepared that this game was going into extra time mm -hmm. and that the play style and the substitution patterns suggested that, you know, they put on Baji for Bupenza because Bupenza was out of gas at that point mm -hmm. and had had a couple rough, a couple rough plays. But you get the sense that they were holding the substitutes back to make some changes at the start of the extra time period where you can call everyone together, talk a little bit about what the changes are going to entail, redo some assignments. And then they score the goal in extra time, and all of a sudden, all those plans are off. So quick, throw Angulo out there. Throw uh, who else came on? Angulo came on really, really late, I think. And that was it. That was it. There you go. So <laughs> no, 
The only other part that I want to, uh, that I think is worth mentioning too, is that so on the broadcast they showed Matt Miazga watching the game up in a uh, a luxury suite somewhere in TQL. Mm. My man got on the field real quick <laughs> after the uh, the, the full time whistle blew. So if you're Miazga, do you start downstairs as soon as the goal scored? To get ready to yes. celebrate, yes. Or are are you superstitious enough that like, nope, I'm gonna wait to see this out, and then immediately hit the door and truck down the stairs as fast as possible, <laughs> taking them like two, three at a time to get down there? Because he he showed up on the field for the celebration like he was fired out of a cannon, and I was genuinely worried about the safety of some of the people he was hugging <laughs> down there on the field because no man, no man on the field needed that win more than Matt Miazga, considering. Oh. His absence was entirely of his own doing. <laughs> yeah, I think I think the goal goes in and he is sprinting down. And I'm guessing he is on the bench basically by the time the VAR check is complete. Like he had to have been down there real quick. And it was yeah, it was great to see him. Some good emotional moments there on the field. A lot of family ran out real quick uh, on the field. So that was really nice to and see. Spe- and speaking of family, also in attendance for this match, Bruce Arena. Oh, and uh, Chief, I think you spotted this wearing FCC gear. Is that allegedly, what we were seeing? Was allegedly, okay. what the, the the intel I received on this was that he was in fact wearing some FC Cincinnati gear. Wouldn't hate it as a front office hire. I'm just throwing that out there. Until I <laughs> until I hear until right, I hear right, something different. What if Kenny gets a job and Bruce doesn't? You just do a like for like arena swap. <laughs> we got the, we got the two old guys who are like we're too good to be assistant coaches. Him and Kinnear would like, but damn it, let's just oh. let's do this one one last ride. <laughs> no, Bruce and Kinnear as your you know one and two assistants on this coaching staff would be yeah. so cool. <laughs> I would love to have like a reality show just about Bruce and Kinnear like going around Cincinnati having cocktails and cigars and just talking about the days. Does uh, hey. Bruce get final cut? <laughs> we, don't, we don't know. We'll we'll vet every episode before we send it out. This is a co- off season content idea. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that uh, OTR cigar shop. Uh, every March, the owner is out there uh, smoking a uh, cigar, and it's great to see. So yeah, that would be that would be good content right there for sure. Because yeah. Bruce strikes me as an old fashioned kind of guy. For sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> you don't think he's hip? Um, can I can I get off? I I got a quick barley note. Oh, please. I want, I want the people. I know there's some important people who listen, and they love. I've been told they love the most when people on podcasts uh, give critiques. <laughs> yes, please. <laughs> this one is a. This one's an easy one. This is a slam dunk. I noticed for some reason the FCC chance they were coming in slightly. Like three seconds before the corner kick would be taken, I want him a little sooner. As soon as we get the corner kick, I don't care what chant it is, okay? You, you know, you want to finish that verse. You want to finish that line. Cut it. I want FCC. As <laughs> soon as Lucho starts walking, I want it to be MVP or FCC. But instead, it was like he's set up. He's got his arm up. And then I... Like, oh, then the ball's in the air. We didn't get the chance. I want more chances to do MVP FCC. So let's get those FCC's chance started five seconds sooner. Otherwise, I'm not going to be so nice about it next time. (laughs) Okay. Um, no, I can't. A- I can't say the sides and the other were getting the chance going very well. To be honest, <laughs> outside the barley, I don't know if it's because it was cold. Although I'd say it was on the on the whole. I was. I mean, I was dressed 
quite warm, but it was a very pleasant night. Yeah. Hardly any wind, luckily. And we had Rose. We don't want to forget about Sweet Sweet Rose. Where's our mm-hmm. NW? NWSL team and the flashlights. My God, the flashlights. Oh I don't know God, how they I afforded that. The flashlights. <laughs> and then they tried to do it at halftime, like pull your phones out again. I was like, I looked at my wife, I was like, I already deleted the app. I have to give credit at halftime. I was in line to uh, re up on the liquid refreshment. When they said, get your phones out, there was a guy in line for a beer who took his phone out, <laughs> even though he was inside the concourse. And I was like, you know what? That's a man that's committed right there. That's the kind of fan commitment. I love to see. <laughs> I thought I thought our screen was going to be involved somehow because they kept like saying something about the screen. Yeah, and then I was like, oh, it's just they're just strobing our flashlight. But that's all right. <laughs> that's fine. It's better than nothing. But and then they had they did fireworks at halftime, like to start the second half. So we really like blew out our firework budget too. So I hope they. I think they saw fireworks the goal too, didn't they? They did. Yeah. Maybe Which, that's what I was like. Yeah. First time I can remember them doing that. That was fun. Yeah, it was neat. It's Maybe a big good thing they didn't, Couldn't think they yeah. didn't wave the goal yeah. off. That would have that would have sucked. I, it does feel like a lot, especially given like how many goals are called back, right? Just like even in the moment, if it was called offside right then and there, like how quickly are you pushing the button to celebrate with the fireworks versus the the goal yeah. being called back? We've seen plenty of times the uh, the barley letting off smoke for non goals. So yeah, that's expected at this point. Right, you, you right. Don't blame. I did think Shalala got a little neutered. Like it yeah. should have been like the the Shalala of the season. But I don't know if it's just the extended VAR check or the fact that then it was like the game. Like there's a minute left now. I mean, like yeah. added extra over the six minutes. But also, how about the perfect time to score a goal? Couldn't have I couldn't mm. have handled him scoring in the eighty fifth. That would have been too much. I couldn't have I couldn't have handled it. So like <laughs> everything ended up working out perfectly. And we pissed off an entire fan base uh just by the mere goal existing. So mm. good night on the whole. Well Great well night. done, everybody. So there we go. That's our match recap. Um is a good win. Oh, let me ask this. Is this the biggest win in FCC history? Mm. No. I, th- I think it depends on how the rest of the playoffs go, obviously. So if we lose against Columbus, I no. don't think it is. But if we win against Columbus, it's also That's the not. biggest win, right? Yeah, so like, yeah, no, I, I don't think this is. The biggest win is either the next win or it remains the Open Cup win against the crew. Or the fire. Yeah, I'd take either one there. Yeah. Yeah, fire. I think, can we say biggest MLS win? Mm, yes. Yes, I'll say I will, yes. I, I will say, I was thinking about the goals, and then obviously I went back to last year. So Vasquez, Red Bulls playoff goal. Right. Got to be up up there, at least for me. As yeah. high this year with the expectations, it's like we gotta win this game. Last year was like we fucking won a playoff game. Yeah, right. So I mean that was like the arrival. So yeah, they can all be in the top three together. That's fine with me. The two playoff goals, Red Bulls last night, and then uh, we'll say Columbus Crew USL GB versus Columbus. Yeah, I'm good with that. I like that list. Well, speaking of the next match, let's get on over to part two. Hit a couple of quick things and let's get out of here. This is going late. <laughs> this episode is also brought to you by Sensi Shirts. Look, you know Sensi Shirts. You love Sensi Shirts. They've been with FCC from the beginning. And we here at the Postcast, we're just huge fans of their work. They were very early sponsors of the Postcast here. And we have 
always enjoyed their work. If you head on over to CincyShirts.com, that's Cincy with a Y, Shirts.com, and check out using the promo code ThePostCincy, all one word, all caps, you will get 10% off your order and you let them know that we sent you. Like they have MLS and MLSPA licensed FCC gear available online and at their two retail locations in Hyde Park and Fort Mitchell. If they don't have your size on the shelf, they can print you one on the spot. That is a fantastic feature and something that I have used as well. So again, special thank you to Cincy Shirts. Head on over to their website or check the link down below in the description for the promo code the post Cincy for 10% off your next order. And a huge thank you to Cincy Shirts. All right, we're back, part two, and this is a little bit more of a grab bag. So looking ahead uh, to the crew game coming up, hell is real this weekend, this Saturday, six o'clock. It's a big one. I, I think it's fair to say that this is the biggest match in FCC history, uh, at least up unless to this point. Unless we lose, then, uh, then it wasn't. Then it was. <laughs> I'm gonna say it wasn't the biggest. Game. It never mattered at that point. So yeah. Then it was the Miami <laughs> Open Cup game we lost. I don't know. Um, <laughs> um, so yeah, so looking ahead to that game, I uh, don't want to play this game. I don't I want this game. You were like going back to Jonah's point last segment. You are a sicko and a psychopath <laughs> of the highest order. If you were rooting for Columbus to set this game up, this is this is now like look, if this was Orlando and they lost and we lost, we end up losing the game to Orlando. That sucks. Right. But you can move on. Right if they lose this game <sighs> this is like almost a fold your franchise game whoever loses this <laughs> like there's no continuing onward if you lose like the rivalry is like how many actual iterations of hell is real do you have to win in a row to erase this loss i don't know that there's a number I mean, I was thinking about it too like narratives alone right like beating crew here it makes us invincible and we will stomp whoever in MLS Cup because truly the psychology of this match is, is where everything is and crew is frankly better than all of the teams left in the Western Conference. So like for FCC, it's truly a changing of the guard. Like we are indeed, uh, you know, the best team in Ohio, the Midwestern darlings, you know, all of that. Uh, if crew wins... They will forever get to say that in our best season, and statistically, this will probably be a top five season in FCC history for the next 50 years, um, in our best season, that they were able to end it unceremoniously. And God forbid they go on to win MLS Cup. It would be the so worst. frustrating. But just like, yeah, there's so much writing on this. And I can't help but think... Yes, we've already beaten crew at TQL Stadium. It did take literally the save of the year to maintain that victory. But the last time we saw them, Chief and Jonah, we were all there in person. And it was not fucking pretty, man. That no. was so rough. Yeah. And it was without Miazga. And that was like the main missing piece. I think we were missing a few other pieces as well. But Miazga was gone. And it fucking sucked. Yeah. It was three nothing beat down so yeah i don't want, to, I, don't, even I, don't want to, I don't want to watch this game i don't want this game to happen like the existential dread 
like the euphoria of winning lasting lasted one day. And I woke up this morning and my first thought was, fuck, I don't want to play the crew next week. I don't want to do it. The joy of winning, the joy of winning is nothing, (laughs) nothing compared to the horror of losing. It is so asymmetrical in the feelings like winning will just be a, oh, thank God the loss didn't happen is all that is at this point. I I was talking to uh, my buddy Andrew who shout out is definitely listening to this a devoted one of 12 uh to this podcast uh and i was saying that basically that the goal of sports is to not be sad that like it's it's not to win it's to not be sad and to inflict sadness on other people and that's what this game comes down to and i do think that we have finally chief finally we have come across a match that is more must win than the Detroit City Open Cup match. Yeah. <laughs> I think we have finally surpassed it. Fuck. Oh, I can't deal with this. So before we go, go any further on this, I do have something that I want to announce. So if you are one of the 12, please pass this on to 12 of your friends. And that's how exponential growth starts. Um, mm. Maybe also encourage them to listen to the postcast. I don't know. Your call. Maybe not, depending on how good of friends they are. Um, for the love of God, please buy your tickets to this match. Mm-hmm. And if for some reason you cannot go to this match for whatever reason, please get on the discord. Ours is free to join or spend your 20 bucks. Get on DI's discord or the pride's discord. Get onto a fan group. Do not sell your tickets to Columbus fans, please. For the love of God, they are going to limit the size of the visitor section for this game to whatever the bare minimum is that they are required to offer by law. Do not offer your tickets up on the open market where crew fans can buy them. This is going to be miserable enough as it is. Don't subject your fellow seatmates to sitting with someone dressed like a taxi cab for 90 minutes having to watch this game. Please. I'm, I'm begging all of you. Yeah. That is, Please don't. Yeah, that's that's really good. I, it's gonna be it's gonna be awful. <laughs> I, I told I told my wife the the silver lining of losing to Philadelphia was not having to do that game. Right. Like that was gonna be the thing that I was like, well, you know, at least we don't have to play Columbus. You know, at least we get rip the bandit off. It's over. We don't have to do that. That's gone. Unfortunately, we won. No, I mean, yeah, but like that's like Chief saying like the next day you're already thinking about that. But yeah, that was the thing. I was like, God, I I was desperate to win the game Saturday. But I was like the only thing that'll give me some bit of comfort, um, you know, what was yeah. it? It's like Longshanks. The only comfort in his death was knowing William Wallace was about to get decapitated. Right. That was me. The only thing knowing <laughs> is that the crew wouldn't get to say that they beat us on the way. And they're like, hey, if you would have faced us, buddy. It wouldn't have been a walk in the park. Uh, But I will say, as the game went on, our game, my dread, I have the dread. It's back. It's back, obviously. But like, I was feeling, I was feeling better. I started, I was like, if we're, we're looking okay with these ragamuffins out here, if we have our, let's say, in italics, full lineup for that next game. I I think all that matters is that we're at home because if we were go if this was obviously we're the number one seed but if we, this was at Columbus oh. not only would I not go 
I might watch with the sound off right. looking from another room because there's no, we can't win there. There's no way we're winning that game. And I'm not traveling to another game till we win a road game. So I think TQL is the difference. And I'm going to hate to see all these fucking assholes up in the corner. But I do think us being at home is, there's no way they blow us out at home. I just refuse. I, obviously, like in your nightmares, you're like, we get blown out, yeah. which honestly might be better than losing in the 90th minute. But <laughs> I, I just don't think it's going to I don't think they can do it there. And it's going to be too tense. A conference final will be a little cagey. And I think our stars show up mm-hmm. and Roman's going to have to make some big saves. But, you know, I'm feeling. So only 80 percent dread. So yeah. here's here's the here's the funny part about all this in terms of the existential dread. So. The the lurking issue with all of this is that so Miazga has just served his suspension for yellow accumulations. Right. And theoretically is eligible for the next game. As of recording, he is eligible. As of recording (laughs) on Sunday night, he is eligible. Now, all this could change tomorrow before or after you listen to this, because there is still a pending investigation into his conduct at the uh, New York Red Bulls arena following the match and we've talked about it extensively there's no point in going into the facts on this but as best i can tell the mls disciplinary committee has already reviewed whatever they're going to review and the recommendation for whatever they've recommended is sitting on the desk of mls league leadership i don't wonder if the reason why no decision has been made was that they were waiting to see whether or not we got knocked out of the playoffs. And if that happens, they can at some point this offseason announce an, oh, by the way, we have decided that Matt Miazga will be suspended an additional four games to start next season or three games to start next season. And they can just announce that whenever because it's no longer a pressing issue. Am I off base in thinking that if they issued a suspension of Miazga now, it's way too late to do that without it looking super match fixy, or that they are specifically attempting to screw FC Cincinnati, which makes me believe that maybe there's a pocket veto happening right now mm-hmm. from the commissioner that they're just not going to deal with this until the offseason so that they don't screw with the integrity of the playoffs. Because that would be, you want to talk about where the existential dread ramps up to 11 is if we find out that Miazga is getting more games and he's also going to be out next week as well. Yeah. I was thinking about that too and and talking to uh, Todd uh, at Northern Row, uh, Todd Carnes, if you don't know him, you're missing out. Um, So my idea there was that you need to have had the results of the suspension. If it's going to carry through into the playoffs, you needed that to noon in before this game, because that could very easily impact how this team was set up in this game. So like it, you could imagine a scenario where the thought was, okay, Gaddis, we're going to make you the center back play your ass off, but don't worry if we win next week, Miazga's in, you'll sit on the bench. So you won't have to go two games back to back, bust your ass, get this done, and we'll work on you for three weeks to be the center back. And then it would come out that after this game, that or maybe this was the situation with Powell, and then after this game, Miazga is going to be suspended in an additional game, and now Powell's going to be asked to go back out there again, and that 
would have been scripted very differently from FCC if they knew the results of that. It does start to impact how these games are actually played. And yeah, I don't think you can do it in time. I wouldn't mind a, uh, you know, NCAA waiver appeal type situation where new information continues to come to light uh, through the course of their investigation. And maybe they wrap that up December 10th let's say, is when they finally have all of the various pieces of evidence and interviews that they needed to to come to a conclusion. Um, yeah, I it is too late. And if there is a suspension coming sometime this week, it had damn well be, it better be including video evidence, audio, written sworn testimony by as many uh, individuals, named individuals as we can. Like this is, this is trending in a direction that is not okay. And is certainly uh, towards match fixing. If this is, you know, going to be applied so late in the game like this. So ugh, I, I absolutely hate it. You mean the people who did the Bruce arena investigation <laughs> are that we still don't have a single fact out. Yeah. Uh, I, yeah. I don't, when you say it, I've been thinking, you keep thinking like, wait, we haven't, there hasn't been an end to that. Like you just, it's like you missed it, but you haven't missed anything. And we had that huge break. This is not something that should take more than a week. Right. And the, you've had the advantage of knowing he was out of game and having this giant break. So let's say we were on a normal ass schedule where there was a game every weekend. Are you telling me you still wouldn't have it by then? Or yeah, that's why you start to think like, also... Are they going to, if they do announce something, are they going to just do it right in the middle of Lucho's MVP press conference? Are you going to try to like, are you going to, do you do it before that? Do you do it after? Do you do it right in the middle? Like that would say something too. When you announce that, like, Hey, we're fucking you for the next game. Um, So yeah, I'm very curious. It has to be tomorrow. When I say tomorrow, it has to be Monday. It either announces on Monday or you can't announce it. Like you, to your yeah. point, Kevin, it would be astronomically unfair to sit on whatever decision has been made, which clearly has been made at this point. It clearly mm-hmm. all evidence, everything I have heard is that there has already been a recommendation that's been made to the commissioner by the disciplinary committee on Miazga. But if you're sitting on that until Tuesday, Wednesday or Thursday, you've now impacted how the team is prepared, how the team is trained. And what level of work they've done to be ready for this game. So if they're not prepared to announce that Miazga, whatever the decision is, if they're not prepared to announce it on Monday, it has to sit in his pocket for another week. And if that's the case, then there's no point in doing anything until after MLS Cup, which if that's the plan, then more credit is due to Don Garber than I would have thought, because, yeah. This shouldn't be something where you're saying, okay, we're going to, based on whatever it is, we're going to impact the playoffs by suspending this individual like this. Yeah. It's it's just like, it's so unethical to essentially what it feels like anyway, to base the punishment on FC Cincinnati's results in the playoffs. Like, if there's a situation where it's, okay, if Cincy loses to Philly, Matt Miazga gets a six-game suspension to start next year in MLS. But if they win, he'll serve a one-game suspension in the conference finals. 
Like, what the fuck? What are we, what are we doing here? Like, that's what it feels like at this moment is like, it's going to depend on FCC's results, how harsh the punishment is. It's, ugh, it's so stupid. I absolutely hate it. On other brighter news, Laurel did report after the game that Pat Noonan confirmed or commented that he does expect Wobodo will be a full participant and able to go next Saturday, which is absolutely enormous news. I don't relish the possibility of that lineup playing again against Columbus and seeing what Cucho Hernandez would do to the back line, um, the makeshift back line. So that's big. Santi Arias didn't play in this game. He was on the bench. I suspect that he possibly would have been one of the people that went in for extra time. Mm -hmm. um, I base that on absolutely nothing. So no idea what his <laughs> what his status is. But having all three of those players back, Arias, Miazga, and Obi, I feel a lot better about next weekend. I still don't feel great, but I feel a lot better than I otherwise would. Yeah. I don't know, Jonah, does the player availability change your dread levels for, for Columbus or is um it, yeah. At least we've seen the the B squad succeed. Right. Now, yes, Cucho and um Rossi Rossi yeah. Rossi, Rossi like oy, oy, bearing oy. down on us is <laughs> very different than what we saw from Philadelphia, who I was not too scared of. You know, I was more scared of like Martinez, like somehow replicating his 40 yard <laughs> um, yeah. goal of the year candidate. Definitely not a winner. And I wasn't afraid of any of that stuff. Watching what I saw of the, the Columbus crew game, we're going to be squeezing our seats or the bar in front of us in the barley the entire game, just like, Riding with every emotion. There's not going to be that like, like, oh, actually, I'm only tense because this is a big game, not because of what's happening. No, what's happening is going to be what's making us tense, but <laughs> we're going to have to just survive that. Yeah. So I'd love to get some good news tomorrow, which would I hopefully based on what Sheep's saying would be no news. Not that I'm believing that. But yeah, so I'm going to say no news is good news. Otherwise, yes, they are sadistic if they push it down further down the week. That's oh. just hard to fathom. But, you know. Crazier things have happened in this league, so I wouldn't, uh, I wouldn't totally count it out. And sorry, I got distracted because somebody tweeted at me, pointing to my line, said, hard to tell because the angle, it doesn't look like these lines are parallel. They're showing my offsides oh. line and the line of the box. Folks, I hate to tell you, but unless you're looking perfectly from the side, those, you're at an angle. I hate that you have to explain stuff that you would hope like a sixth grader would understand. But no, we still don't understand. This is what we're dealing with. Uh, this is, with you're, you're witnessing in real time the results mm -hmm. of 30 plus years of defunding public education. <laughs> <in America. laughs> it's like, folks, here's a, here's a real quick way you can do it. Is the center line and the 18 yard box parallel in that image? No, they, they probably aren't. So it's just like, Maybe. unless you think that that field was a trapezoid on the day. It's probably, dare I say the phrase, lens distortion here, or camera parallax, uh, which I believe is the proper term for what phenomenon yeah. we're seeing there. Yeah. Um, <laughs> when, after we put a bow in this, I do have one question for uh, Chief specifically that's a little 
off topic, but mm. we can bring it back to FCC. So I just put I, that out in the world. You know, so it's go good timing because I don't think I have anything else. I really wanted to just touch on uh, Columbus one two nothing against Orlando. Uh, goals coming in the 93rd and 118th minute. They needed extra time. However, it was in the 77th minute of that match that well, one of Orlando's center backs got a second yellow red card sent off. So maybe that game goes differently without that red card. Hard to say, but it did take Orlando or took Columbus uh, 30 extra minutes to actually see out that game. So if you just see they won two nothing, doesn't quite tell the whole story. And Orlando had to make some yeah. big saves too. Orlando almost yes. scored like twice with like a great save to stop it from happening. Yeah, which is genuinely surprising because Schulte, their goalkeeper, has been pretty shaky all season. <laughs> he had a couple of gaffes. I believe that's how Lucho scored uh, in TQL against Columbus. It was a pretty bad gaff from him. So they got lucky. I, I don't know how you want to look at it, but I don't know. Maybe, maybe they're not firing on all cylinders. It took them uh, to game three to finally see off Atlanta. So I don't know. A little, don't little, care. I'll, I'll, in, don't I'll care. inject a tiny bit of optimism <laughs> for you there. <laughs> Throw the records out the window when these two teams oh, meet. So man, true. I'll tell you what. Um, um, so yeah. So Jonah, hit us, hit us with your, uh, your off the wall question. Here. So this would be something that we'll, if we take it back a few months when we played Red Bulls in the playoffs, I'm thinking about Frankie Amaya and our treatment of Frankie Amaya. So, Chief, I'm sure you saw this. Uh, Kawhi Leonard, former Spur, San Antonio Spur. We're talking <laughs> oh NBA. God. Yes, comes, I did. <laughs> come, two teams later, comes back to San Antonio, and apparently they're booing him throughout the game every touch. And according to Greg Popovich, the coach of the Spurs, it's getting worse throughout the game. During the third quarter of the game, he gets on the mic, the PA system, implores the crowd, lectures them, basically tells them, stop, stop with the booing stop booing him this isn't what we're all about and i don't know what happened after that you know i'm guessing yeah but (laughs) i i normally am a greg popovich fan i usually am on the same side as him when he's doing a rant whether it's about gun control or that's about trump or something you know like oh popovich is a rant like i'm into this he seems like a nice a surly guy you can get behind when i saw this i'd never been so annoyed at a coach in my fucking life (laughs) and could you fathom in Noonan, I know it's a arena differently like saying, hey, could you guys stop booing Frankie? First of all, this is our th- this isn't about you, bro. I don't, you know, back the fuck up. We're going to do what we're going to do. You worry about coaching the team. We're going to boo the fuck out of a former player who quit on us or didn't want to be there. Uh, first of all, Chief, by the looks of it, you know what I'm speaking of. Yes. Did it rub you as Poorly as it rubbed me, or do you have a? Are you gonna shock me and take a other stance on this? No, it, it absolutely. It was just like this was a clown move by Pop, and I I'm like you. I usually like Greg Popovich. I like the program he runs down there. Where I will give him his credit, and that's that I am always here, a hundred times out of a hundred, a thousand times out of a thousand. For at any point, a coach grabbing a live mic in the arena (laughs) or in the stadium during a game. I think it needs to happen more often. Um, We really haven't had a good one of these in a while. Uh, I just think back to the the all-time great clip of Sam Weish addressing uh, Riverfront Stadium, telling people, 
you're from Cincinnati, not Cleveland, act like it. And just what an electric moment that was in that space. So I'm I want I'm hesitant to criticize Pop too much because I don't want coaches to get gun shy about grabbing the house mic <laughs> and cutting a promo every so often. I, I want this to happen more often. That's that's fair. But no, it, it was it, what the first thing I thought of about this is that this is some Mike Shashevsky shit. This is you don't understand. We're classier than this right. here. We're bigger than oh, this. But but yeah. what you're really doing is you're making the moment about you, and it, it it's. It's hard not to think that when he grabbed the microphone, the first thought in his head also wasn't going to cement my legacy right here that it's bigger than it's bigger than sports. It's like, no, no. you firmly misjudged this. But if Pat Noonan does want to grab a live mic at some point during this game, <laughs> and if he does that, I'm not going to be mad about it as long as the first words out of his mouth are, fuck Columbus. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Cincy Postcast, which is a production of The Post Cincy. You can check us out at thepostcincy.com for all of our written content as well as links to our social media. You can follow us on Twitter and as well you can join us on our Discord server. You can find links to that server both in this episode description as well as on our website. That is where most of our conversations are going on. We have a lovely community there talking about FC Cincinnati, MLS, anything and everything else and everything in between. We also want to give a huge thanks to Jim Trace and the Makers for providing all of the music you've heard throughout this episode. They're an amazing local Cincinnati band. Again, more information about them is in the description of this episode. And if you enjoyed what you listened to, you've made it to the end, so I'm going to assume you liked it or you just can't reach your stop button, please like us, review us, subscribe to us wherever you are getting your podcast. That is going to be really, really helpful. But more importantly, share this with a friend. A personal recommendation helps sped a podcast so much further. So please share this if you know somebody in your life who's an FC Cincinnati fan, an MLS fan, somebody that you think would enjoy this. Pass it on over. Thank you so, so much again for listening. It blows me away that people continue to listen to us. And thank you so, so much again.